I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Casey Doran. And this is Radio vs. the Martians. This month's single serving selection, WrestleMania 19. Stone Cold Steve Austin versus The Rock, Brock Lesnar versus Kurt Angle, Shawn Michaels versus Chris Jericho, Vince McMahon versus Hulk Hogan, and Limp Biscuit versus Music? <laughs> More like Catfight Girls versus My Sense of uh, Decency. And All Social Progress. Yes, this <laughs> month we are talking about WrestleMania 19. This is the premier WWE pay per view event broadcast from Seattle, Washington at Safeco Field on March 30th, 2003. I was there in person. If you're wondering why Mike's wanting to talk about WrestleMania 19. <laughs> yes, the the first Seattle event. And when you live in Seattle, it's all about the insecurity about your town not being a big deal. So <laughs> when something actually large and noteworthy happens there, you kind of want to be a part of it. So to join us in talking about WrestleMania 19, we have our first-time guest. He's the program director and social media manager at Radio Tacoma 101.9 FM, Morgan Lambert, welcome to the show, Morgan. Hey there. So, uh, Morgan, if you had to synopsize this whole WrestleMania thing, WrestleMania 19 in particular, in like a paragraph or two, how would you sum this up? What is this thing all about? It's the aughts. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It is everything that was the early 2000s, I feel. It was the end of the Attitude Era, beginning of, I guess, Ruthless Aggression. It was Safeco Field. It... um, (laughs) Can you unpack? Uh, so I think we talked about Attitude Era on our pro wrestling episode. What was the phrase that you just used? The ruthless aggression. R- ruthless aggression. Was it? Is this a presentation style of the way that WWE does their wrestling? It was about a guy named uh, Chris Benoit, for the most part, and Eddie Guerrero, both who have died. One, well, both of pretty uh, nefarious reasons, <laughs> um, to say the least, especially in Benoit's case. But... Um, it was a, a bit of a move from the big guys, the, all the swearing, to um, a lot of the smaller guys, although they were still pretty jacked, but like smaller guys that were... Better more, technicians. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean the thing is, um, the Attitude Era, if we had to sort of sum this up, that was the boom era of 90s to early 2000s wrestling. Mm-hmm. It was the time that they made the most money. They were in a ratings war with WCW, which was still around at that point, owned by Ted Turner. Mm-hmm. Um, it was all about shock value, over-the-top characters, boobies, <laughs> uh, swearing. Um, middle fingers. Middle fingers, profanity. They would go all the way. And there's a storyline where... Well, and blood. Yeah, blood. Right? That's something uh, that Chair shots me. to the head. Yes. A lot of a lot of things that were all about, well, how do we make ourselves... Mick Foley. Mick Foley. <laughs> I mean, there's all this stuff, crazy stuff happening that was all about getting attention. How do you get us to change the channel from WCW to us? And they both... Both promotions were doing this. Mm-hmm. Both of them were going over the top. And the first casualty during the Attitude Era was always good taste. <laughs> <laughs> that Vince McMahon at his heart. Oh, boy. This entire program, this entire three hours and 45 minutes, Mike, is an assault on good taste. <laughs> but, I mean, again, this is this is not the full-on Attitude Era. Yeah, this is... This is uh, 
This is kind of a kind of the end. I feel hmm. like, it's a transitional form between yeah. uh, what was the high point of this company and the next era, which I'm not going to say was a down point. It wasn't. Mm-mm. The wrestling was a lot better yeah. coming out of this, but um, there was a lot more of an emphasis on the Attitude Era towards character than there was about in-ring wrestling. That uh, the and prom- factions there were yeah. lots of factions in the Attitude Era, gangs of four guys going up against each other. And then the ruthless aggression, I guess you'd call it, or in Benoit's case, toothless aggression, yeah. was a lot of quick solo work, I felt. You know, tag yeah. teams. Tag teams. A lot of um, – the in-ring product got a lot better mm-hmm. from this point onward. I mean, people like Chris Benoit, uh, Chris Jericho, uh, Shawn Michaels coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, these guys were a lot better. The Radicals. The Radicals. They were just better in-ring. Then I mean I'm not going to say Stone Cold Steve Austin is a bad wrestler because that's not fair. No, none but of these guys were. The the emphasis on well, Stone Cold and you'll see in during this this pay per view as well was that it was about character work and it was about intensity um, more than it was because Stone Cold was not going to come off the top rope. He was not going to do a lot of excessive chain wrestling or reversals. <laughs> there was a lot of brawling, a lot of um, theatrics. Um, weapons. Weapons, yeah. He was definitely a guy that I think inhabited his character really strongly and believably, and The Rock was too, where Stone Cold Steve Austin was sort of this angry redneck who wasn't going to take it anymore, who hated his boss and was going to do whatever the fuck he wanted. And then The Rock was sort of, I guess, a more of a modern Ric Flair. Well, he was a flashy... A showman. Uh, a showman. He was arrogant that uh, he talked a big game. And in the case of this event, WrestleMania 19, he was coming off a movie. Yes. And so he he came back. He was like Hollywood The Rock. I was going to say Hollywood Hogan, but Hollywood The Rock. And he played that up to as his character. I mean, it was yeah. just over the top. That he was too good for wrestling yeah. now. So, uh, so I'm going to take a step back here because I have a feeling that there might be a percentage of our audience that <laughs> hasn't... I never saw a WrestleMania before this. I probably, oh, wow. for our pro wrestling show, I definitely saw quite a few clips that were from there, but I had never ingested the entire like the entire spectrum of yeah. the and the thing is is that it's a pay per view thing, so it's like a boxing match, although it lasts a lot longer. It's mm-hmm. something that you I don't know what thirty bucks or something you pay your cable company to watch this sort of three four hour event, and it's um, it is a fixed number of matches by a lot of different people, usually names that you would recognize. I mean, obviously, I recognized most of the big like the most of the big ones and even the medium-sized wrestlers but it's sort of like it's sort of like you have it's a super card it, mm-hmm. yes it is a it's super the, card. It, yes. that's essentially what they did i think starting in the 1980s wrestling promotions i think nwa was the first one to do this with starcade but the idea of we're gonna have the biggest matches between the biggest names and make it like the super bowl and this definitely feels like a super bowl of wrestling with the with the names that they're sort of pulling out, or even what I understand on the periphery, like when you get to, it wasn't the final match, but when you get to essentially Hulk Hogan, who's, I don't know how old he is at this He's point. He's 50 years old. Yeah. yeah. Fighting Vince McMahon, the, uh, the... The owner of the company. The owner of the company together, and they're <laughs> bleeding from the head. You're like, okay, okay, this is something that's special. 58-year-old Vince McMahon at the time. Wow. Yeah, he's not yet getting a discount at Denny's, but um, that's the thing, too. He's in AARP. Vince McMahon was also really central to the Attitude Era, because the biggest villain between, like, 1997 
and 2000 was the owner of the company. And it was, it's the weirdest thing because his, his rivalry was, was with Stone Cold Steve Austin. Mm-hmm. That, that you, you know, you redneck trash, you're not good enough to be the champion of my company. And, and Stone Cold would beat up his boss and never go to jail. <laughs> and, and I think the whole point was this was, the fan could relate to this. You're sick of your boss, you come home, you want to, you know, get this aggression out. And you got Stone Cold here kicking his boss's ass left and right. And you can't do that, but you can kind of live vicariously through. Through well, Stone Cold, isn't it also that Vince McMahon also seems like an asshole too? Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah. it does. It does feel nice to be like, oh, he's going to get his. A lot yeah. of it too came organically out of something called the Montreal Screw Job, where Vince McMahon legitimately on pay per view screwed over one of his top wrestlers, Bret Hart, who was leaving to another promotion. Where Bret Hart thought the match was going to end one way, and everyone else in the ring knew it was going to end another. Yep. And uh, he was left there kind of holding the bag, going like, what the fuck? And that legit beef that a lot of people had through because of their respect for Bret Hart transferred to Vince, because Vince was going to be there next week. And it was kind of, I mean, Vince had become more of an on-character, on-screen character, but it really wasn't until then that Mr. McMahon showed up. Yeah. You know, and it went from Mr. being... Mr. McMahon, It went yes. from being Vince McMahon, you know, the guy that was the announcer who, you know, they kind of alluded to possibly own the company... All of a sudden, he was he did an on screen interview. He had a black eye from Bret Hart, a legit black eye, and he is saying, "Why Bret? Why'd you leave? You know, why why'd you do this to the fans? You know, and all this stuff." And then they just ran from it from yeah. there, you know, and it went crazy. Like, and I honestly think if it wasn't for that character, Mister McMahon and Stone Cold, I don't know if the WWF would e would still be around. I, I think it is. When you go back and you watch some of those, a lot of the Attitude Era Raws are really rough to watch because yeah. of language and, I mean, it, it's just... Retrograde social politics. Ugh, so, yeah. can we talk about retrograde social politics for a little bit? So, there are the two. There are several sets of announcers, but the two main announcers are Jerry Lawler and... <laughs> uh, yeah, and G- Jim Ross. Jim Ross. Yeah. Um, Jerry Lawler, who looks wants to look like a gigolo, I think. I don't know the way He's this the guy's king. dressed. He's Jerry the King. He was like the Hulk Hogan of Memphis wrestling. Mm. Yeah, um, and, and Memphis was like a really big deal in the South. It was it was like and and it if you watched through, WWF, you were a loser. Okay. And if you were a Memphis fan, I mean that was that was it. It shows through in the choice of announcers. And I think there's like a younger set of announcers that were probably both both rest, pro wrestlers that had been retired. Oh, Michael Cole. Michael Cole was a journalist for CBS. Oh, whoa. I think he covered in, like in Iraq. First, yeah. For, yeah, he covered the and first And then who was the dude with the glasses on and the Taz, mustache? And he Taz. Was in, he was in extreme championship wrestling. Oh, um, ECW. ECW before that. Um, they were the SmackDown announced crew, and then ah. and then Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler was the Raw announced crew. So that's why they went back and forth. So, so when you hear, so just for anyone who has not heard this before, is that both Jerry Lawler and Jim Ross have Southern accents, mm-hmm. and so it very much does feel like you are viewing the the intended audience is people who are from the South. When you're and and you and sometimes let's just say there is a match between is it is Booker T and who's his oh Triple H. Triple H and Triple H and Jerry Lawler the entire time is making jokes at the expense of the fact that Booker T is black. Like he says, like his family photo is a is a suspect sketch or something. Okay, and let, he, it is it's intense. Let's let's start with that match because I think that's <laughs> okay. a good place to start because it really is. Uh, this isn't the first match, by the way. Oh, no. oh, it's not. This is yes. like a in the middle of the paper. Yeah, this so. is probably like the third or fourth from the top. So uh, Triple and H it's for. The World Heavyweight Championship? Yeah, let's before we even start there. <laughs> There's we got so layers, much to unpack. Layers of an onion. Um, so <laughs> basically, you might be kind of curious, why are there two world titles? 
Oh, yes. Why is there the WWE title in the World Heavyweight title? I thought it was a weight class thing. It's not. Okay. (laughs) They talk about, the dancers be like, you had to drop seven pounds. I'm like, okay, so it's a weight class? It's it's not that. And trust me, the the rules shift based on storyline in professional wrestling. So, okay. um, Basically, in 2001, WWF... Uh, then the WWF before they got sued. This is the first WrestleMania with the WWE name. Oh, so they had gotten sued by the World Wildlife Fund, <laughs> and because of the initials. I don't know why there can be AMC the theater chain and AMC the channel, and nobody gets right. confused. But suddenly I'm going to be confused with like a Nature Conservancy type uh, <laughs> thing and Hulk Hogan. And it affected. I mean, it affected so much. It, this was a lawsuit in the UK. And it somehow spilled all the way over here to the point where, for a solid 10 years, they had to blur out anything with the old WWF logo. So if you're watching a classic match, or if they were showing something that happened even a year earlier, the turnbuckles, all three of them on each corner, had to be blurred. Anybody with a shirt that had WWF, the Scratch logo, had to be blurred. They could keep the original WWF logo for some reason even though oftentimes they blurred that. But anything with the Scratch logo, they had to blur. That's crazy. They treated it like a penis. So it was <laughs> everything, weird. Everything looked awful. So so, anyways, um, basically, um, they bought their rival, World Championship Wrestling, and they totally botched uh, the crossover event, the biggest thing they could have ever had. And they kind of completely devalued the WCW name. Mm-hmm. I think the original idea was that they would probably have two different shows and two different promotions, but it didn't work out. Yeah, from what I understand is that Monday Nitro, WCW, was going to be on Monday. That was going to be the WCW flagship show, and then SmackDown was going to be the WWF flagship show. And they ran a couple Raws where... Um, WCW basically had a spot on the show. So at the end of like an hour and a half of Raw, the last half hour would be WCW. The last time they did that was in Tacoma, Washington. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And um, the next night they were supposed to be, or the next week they were supposed to be in Atlanta, where if they had done it, it probably would have been gangbusters because that's where WCW was based out of. They didn't. They basically... Um, there was a match between Booker T and Buff, Buff the Bagwell. Stuff. Yes. Buff the Stuff Bagwell. And and they ended up... Bad I, call. I believe Stone Cold, or maybe it was Kurt Angle, kicked his ass out of the Tacoma Dome. And they basically just kind of did nothing with WCW for a while. Yeah. And then they tried to bring it back as like... The invasion. The invasion with ECW and WCW against WWF. <laughs> and that was a total mess. They fucked it up because... At the end, Vince's ego gets in the way right. of saying, well, I created this, and I'm always going to make my wrestlers look better than the wrestlers from other companies, mm-hmm. that I've spent this many years telling my audience that WCW is trash, and I'm not going to stop now, even though I own it. And I'm and basically... And only a few of those wrestlers really survived. I mean, Eddie Guerrero, Guerrero and Booker T, I think, are probably the... And Jericho. Mm-hmm. And Jericho actually came in before that. And I would say that they were kind of the the survivors of WCW. There were a bunch of other guys that stuck around, but those were the guys that were kind of made the top stars. Mm-hmm. But other than that, Vince wouldn't have it. Yeah, he wouldn't have it, and he wasn't willing to pay the and contracts. He's still like that. Yeah, he's still like that. That's Vince's ego is going to be mentioned a lot during this episode. Mm-hmm. But anyways, um, they decided at some point, I don't really know why, that they would have two championships on two different shows. <laughs> one on Raw, one on SmackDown. I think, honestly, it comes down to money. And, and money. And you can sell two belts you to, can. to kids. <laughs> you get an extra toy out of yeah. this. So um, the world um, 
the World Heavyweight Championship, that's the one for Raw, and then the one that Brock Lesnar and Kurt Angle are fighting over, the WWE Championship, that's the older one that goes back to like the 60s. That's the one that is fought over on SmackDown. So, okay, without all that out of the way, Booker T versus Triple H. This is the beginning of a time where Triple H has a has a negative reputation among a lot of fans. And isn't he like the son-in-law of Vince McMahon? That's a part no. of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He is married to Vince McMahon's daughter and he's somebody who there's a lot of debate about whether he deserves the spots that he's gotten. I think he's a really good wrestler. I think he's good, but he was never as big of a star as like the rock and Steve Austin, but he wrestled them a lot frequently as their bad guy. Mm-hmm. So, um, there are people who will, dismissively talk about it as like he's not a top guy he just worked with top guys and the fact that he married the boss's daughter also gives people an end to slag on him a bit um that could be a whole episode in and of itself god <laughs> it would so um so we're, triple- s- we're starting the radio versus the martians wrestling podcast yeah. now yeah, this, this, is could, episode this zero. could be your first 10 hour episode i think <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh triple h this is him beginning what fans would later refer to as his reign of terror where he was the bad guy on on Raw as the champ. And he had a tendency to get into wrestling programs and, and feuds with other wrestlers that at the end of it, they would look weak and stupid and he would kick everyone's ass. And what happened on this pay-per-view is a prime example of mm-hmm. it. That the storyline they did here has overtones of racism that are genuinely uncomfortable, including into during the lead up to the match, Triple H would like look Booker up and down and say, people like you don't get to be world champion. Yeah. There's another thing where he threw like five bucks at Booker and said, like, get my towel for me. Um, and of course, Booker punched him in the face after that. <laughs> you could make something like this work. You can have racism be an element. The bad guy is a racist and that Booker is this guy who legitimately in real life had uh had a past uh he had gone to gone to jail come out of it had cleaned himself up when he was really young too, like 20 you know i mean he was like super young when this happened he was like Mm -hmm. a teenager and um it's about you know these people telling him he's not good enough with racial overtones booker overcoming it throwing it in these guys faces and winning at wrestlemania that's the story that you'd tell yeah it's not what happened that um not to say the least it's i think there was a line there from from jerry the king lawler that says we went to the mall yesterday and booker tried to pay for everything with cigarettes oh yes oh jesus and i was like what the fuck dude yeah a lot as far as commentary went if something really really that is aged badly came out of the mouth of an answer it would come out of the mouth of jerry the king lawler (laughs) it was it was funny because I, i hadn't watched this event in at least 10 years. Right. And everyone talks, they miss, you know, my, I don't, I'm not particularly a big fan of Michael Cole on WWE programming currently never really have been. Uh, everyone talks about how Jim Ross is the best announcer of all time. Maybe him and Gordon Soley. And, and he's kind of the voice of a generation, you know, uh, people in their thirties, forties, that's the guy they grew up listening to is Jim Ross. And so, and I've heard Jim Ross call like new Japan lately. Not very, it's not good, but, I can say that, like, at the beginning of this pay-per-view, I was like, all right, man, I haven't heard these two guys call matches in forever. This is great. And by the end, I was like, oh, fuck, this is so annoying. These guys, (laughs) 
I have copious notes here on shit that <laughs> usually, I mean, it's about puppies. I mean, oh, stuff that God, Jerry Lawler would Jerry say. Jerry Lawler. And Stop. we'll get into that when the Miller Lite cat fight girls come out. <laughs> so, <laughs> how can you have a show with live performances like Limp by Limp Biscuit and have that not be the worst part of the show? <laughs> you find a way to. So, I'll say this for uh, for Limp Biscuit is I expected this to be a complete dub. I expected him to be lip syncing and the music to be played back. He's actually rapping in this. Yeah, he's got, actually going live. He's actually and and you know what? And the crowd is showing that they don't like him. Yeah, he's having this like the rest. Like the heels, he's having to step in front of a crowd of thousands of people. I don't. I remember it differently though, being there in person. I, I remember people being really into it. Oh, were they? I don't. I, no? I remember. Maybe it was, it was my section. <laughs> I, I walked in and uh, to the show where there's crowds of people kind of coming into Safeco Field, mm-hmm. and we looked up and Fred Durst is on this balcony. Well. And a bunch of people around me flipped him the bird. And <laughs> but wasn't that him. their thing? Like it kind of was. Kinda? Limp Biscuit was basically a band. I think it's kind of like. Insane Clown Posse, where a big part of the appeal to the people who like them is that everyone else thinks they're garbage. Yeah. So I think that's part of it. So anyways, Booker T versus Triple H. (laughs) The the end of that match is one of the worst things that I've ever seen in professional wrestling, which is it seems to be a back and forth match that, you know, Booker looks like he could win a couple times. And then at the end, there's a moment. See, professional wrestling has this trope. Where if both of the guys are exhausted and they're kind of, you know, this like a last ditch effort to end this match. And one of the guys pulls off his big finishing maneuver, the thing you're not supposed to kick out of, the thing that's going to end the match. And in doing so, they both exhaust and they both collapse from the effort of this. And then they're both on the ground for a really long time. And one of them crawls over and throws his arm over the other. You kick out. Yeah. It's the oldest trope. You've given somebody an opening that they've been on the ground long enough to recover. It's all about one, two, shoulder goes up, and the crowd goes nuts. It means the matches continue. It's that long moment of, of, of suspense. That doesn't happen here. Uh, Booker gets hit with the pedigree, which is Triple H's finishing maneuver, mm-hmm. and stays down for like 20 seconds. Both of them are down for like 20 seconds, and then Triple H crawls over, throws an arm over Booker, and he fucking wins. <laughs> so not only did he win cleanly, which is something if you want to make the guy that you beat look good anyways, either you have it be a straight down the match, it could go either way, tough thing, or you fucking cheat if you're the bad guy. That you show that that guy had your number and you only got the edge by like grabbing his tights when you, when you pin him or you have your foot on the rope or any one of these things that evil wrestlers do to cheat the other guy who deserved to win out of a win. And it didn't happen. Hmm. He fucking beat him and he made Booker T look like a fucking chump. And it's like, <laughs> oh yeah, all that racist shit about you. It's all true. <laughs> and it's, it's like, fuck you. And he did that to like five other wrestlers. And it was always when they started to get popular and you're like, oh man, here it comes. They're going to be a big deal. No, fuck you, Booker T. Fuck you, uh, Rob Van Dam. Yeah. Fuck you. All of you guys. Um, this guy's going to be a champ, and he's also going to make you look like shit at the end of your rivalry with him. I think him. it's yeah. I mean, that goes to why everyone says Triple H buries people. Oh, you know, there's all this bring fun- out the shovel, blah yeah. blah blah. It, oh God, <laughs> it's, it's so yeah. And I will ra- say, I will say this: Triple H had some phenomenal hair. He did, <laughs> like blown out, kind of straight, weird looking. He just, 
I, he didn't even look like Triple H to me. It's so weird. I'm so used to him with like the buzz cut now mm-hmm. that it was surreal seeing I was, him with long I'm hair. I'm used to again. him with a beard now. Yeah. It was just, again, it was another transition from Attitude Era Triple H to current Triple H where he just didn't look right. Yeah. It's just the ending of this match, though, was just a poison pill that ruined the rest of it. I will say, I forgot how good Booker T is. Yeah, he's really... I mean, it's, I, it's like undeniable. Like, I knew he was good, but I, it had been so long since I'd seen a Booker T match. Now, Booker T on commentary, he's been, he has done commentary recently, and he hosts some of the backstage shows and stuff like that before pay-per-views. He's awful. He, oh. He's really bad. But as a wrestler, I was shocked at how um, awesome he was. You know what's kind of weird is Booker T's physique is always interesting to me because he looks kind of like a Mike Tyson's punch-out character. Mm-hmm. Um, what is that one character? He kind of looks like uh, Super Macho Man. <laughs> Is that the name? Uh, I think not. Not Macho Man Randy Savage yeah. or Super Macho Man. Yeah, Super Macho Man. Yeah. Where he's okay. muscular, but there's sort of these long. He's like an anime character. That's what he looks like. <laughs> is that his physique is? He's kind of both ripped and lanky at the same time. Yeah. yeah, and he moves really fast for a guy his size. Yeah, and he's and he's, he was getting a little older here, and he was still really good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it, and I that that so. Limp Biscuit. We we touched on this a little bit. Um, I'm a crack addict. Ugh. I'm a crack. Yes, yes. That plays over the end credits too. It, Jesus it's, Christ! It, it actually. I watched the Raw and SmackDown before, um, and they play it a lot during that. And and it refers to crack and skulls, I believe. Oh. Yeah, I thought it had to be metaphorical crack. Yeah, it but was with Limp Biscuit. You don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't assume that Limp Biscuit is doing anything metaphorical. <laughs> There's going to be some some people listening to this show that are probably in their twenties that don't remember Limp Biscuit, but there was this very brief time in our musical history where music got really angry and dumb. And yes. Limp Biscuit was sort of the the tip of the spear. My favorite thing was the announcement when they right before they came out. This is WWE's favorite band in the whole yes, world. I wrote that they down did that too. twice. The yeah. Favorite favorite band in the whole. It sounded world. like a like a nine year old who's like, I love them. He's my favorite in the whole world. You know, it's like, but it was like a grown man saying this in front of fifty four thousand people. <laughs> yeah, it was just embarrassing, and it's more embarrassing in retrospect. I think they kind of have a similar career trajectory to Vanilla Ice, where at the top of their game, they were the biggest thing in the world. They had a lot of naysayers and a lot of people laughing at them. And I thought Fred Durst was like, he wasn't he like like one of the top guys at Interscope as well yes. for a while there? Yes, he was. Yeah. He also, I think he directs stuff now. Yeah, so he's moved on to not being, to, you know, I think people hate his face, so oh, he doesn't put his face in front of the camera anymore. He's an incredibly punchable person. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing with Fred Durst, is that if you want to think of the early aughts douchebag, <laughs> it's Fred Durst. That yeah. Their music was, I've heard this, um... There's a podcast I really liked called Three Dollar Pod, y'all, which is a history of Limp Biscuit <laughs> podcast. Oh no! Which our friend David A. Gutierrez recommended to me. It's really good, and a lot of what it's about is it's a, a music history podcast by three guys that hate Limp Biscuit, <laughs> and one of them was was desperately afraid that he might have accidentally become a Limp Biscuit scholar at the end of it. Uh, but I will say, like as much as I hate Limp Biscuit. It really takes me back to a place. Oh, it yeah. is. Oh, yeah. Because I'm just like, oh, man. Yeah, Funky Monkey, that radio station down in Tacoma, that basically played – all they've ever played was Limp Bizkit and Korn and Slipknot 
<laughs> Nothing but all of those bands. Really angry rap Aggressive, rock, new metal. Yeah, and then like a Bush song. <laughs> yeah, but that was the thing with it is it was this very brief period of time. Um, but the guys on the the three dollar pod y'all podcast had said about it. They referred to <laughs> they referred to it as musical Trumpism, where oh, it was God. this like blowback to more thoughtful, heady grunge grunge kind of stuff that it was sort of like the anti um god i'm from fucking seattle why do i get this guy nirvana guy yeah Uh, kurt cobain um (laughs) it was like the anti kurt cobain where it was like angry it's about beating people up it's about like i want to see chicks shake their boobs at me and i was white guy rap yeah it was like the worst kind of like suburban white guy but but not white guy rap like uh not like you know, Eminem. Like, like no. um, Eminem was white guy rap or let's be honest Beastie Boys was like white white guy rap where yeah. where there's you know they have skills yeah. but it was like wanna be kind of like wanna like, be tough guys yeah, yeah. the, the yeah. Limp Biscuit was for suburban tough guys yeah. these are the guys <laughs> that yell at you at two in the morning on Xbox Live <laughs> in that voice that like kind of vocal style of Fred Durst, where you just want to you want to hit him. Yeah, yeah. You just want to hit him. There's something you, deep in my bones you know what, that tell me that this guy is an enemy. The backwards baseball cap doesn't help. It no, does oh, it ruined. I used to wear my hat backwards all the time. I, I still do on occasion, and I it kind of am like. Uh, I hope I don't look like that. Like, I hope people don't see me and think, like, only if I, like, trimmed my beard down to, like, a line or something. Oh, the little like, soul patch <laughs> yeah. that he had? Or you just, uh, like, you want to Oh, hit- my God, I forgot that he had a soul patch. Oh, Holy God. shit. Oh, God. Oh, this show it was also, like, Goatee City. Yeah. Which is so early 2000s. Oh, God. I think I had a goatee then at this show. <laughs> I might have as well. Yeah. But, yeah, it was, a, it was an era of bad Did, facial Michael hair. Michael Cole looked like a fucking magician. Yeah. <laughs> it was weird. It was almost a Klingon thing he was sporting. <laughs> but, yeah, I, that was kind of weird because this show, more than anything, is a giant mixed bag. Also, we should point out that this was – so I have this – on, on my seven pages of notes that I took. Let me see if I... I went back. Like I said, I watched some of the SmackDowns. So, March 20th, SmackDown was 10 days out. So, um, let's see. There's March 20th and then the March 24th. So, March 20th. So, what happened the day before March 20th, SmackDown? UK and the US invaded Iraq. So, this yeah. is coming off like a bit of a social like, whoa, we're at war kind of thing. We're back in Iraq. And so, there was... I don't know if you saw it. There's all kinds of like... U.S. go troops kind of like, yeah. um, and, and there was, you know, I think that especially with like playing that aggressive Limp Bizkit and then having Undertaker come out on his motorcycle with a big, you know, American flag and waving that around. And it, it's just, it was a weird time. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was like, a very weird time. It was sort of this kind of aggressive, overtly stupid, something that would want to shout down somebody who wants to have a nuanced view of anything. Mm-hmm. Just like, shut up! And then need to throw a beer can at them. Um, there was that kind of vibe to it. The early aughts was a really ugly time. Politically, it was ugly. Musically, it was ugly. Culturally, it was ugly. That fucking backwards baseball cap was ugly. <laughs> and... This was also during Undertaker's, I guess, his blue period, where he was a biker for a while. Yeah, yeah so explain like, that to me. It w- w- uh, When they introduced him, I'm like, who the fuck is this guy on the on the bike? And he doesn't have the makeup. He doesn't look like a, a dead person resurrected. He just looks like a guy from Sons of Anarchy. So Undertaker is a guy <laughs> with many periods. Um, that He started out as basically a zombie. Yeah. Who didn't feel pain. Man. He was a dead man. He's like, Ugh. And he... 
he's like one of the few wrestlers, honestly, who has gotten better with age. I don't know how he's done this. And a big guy, too. Yeah. That he used to be a lot more slow. I think it was part of his zombie gimmick. Mm -hmm. And then he kind of became like almost a dark lich sorcerer guy. (laughs) Then he became a satanic cult leader. That was one of my favorite. Yeah, he would led that. a group called the Ministry of Darkness. Yeah, they were great. And Their they music all, was awesome. Oh, yeah, and they went super goths. <laughs> yeah. They, they had vampires in their group. And, <laughs> Midian, uh, and Midian and and um and Viscera. Yeah. Okay, you, but that's that none of that is what you I saw on display okay, at all in this. Then there was one. a hard cut where they decided to totally change Undertaker. He came back with a theme song by Kid Rock. Talk about also dated. Every licensed theme song the Undertaker has <laughs> yeah. in retrospect is from an artist where you go, Oh god. Yeah. <laughs> like five years later, and then eventually Limp Biscuit yeah, was rolling, rolling, roll. Oh God, I just want to punch. Get it? <laughs> but yeah, rolling because you know he's on a motorcycle. Yeah, he Get is. It? Oh, oh, so clever. A lot of fans called him the Underbiker during this <laughs> yes. time, or Biker Taker. Biker Taker. That was another one. And um, he stopped mostly. I think this is a rare instance of him using the Tombstone Piledriver as his finisher. Um, they he became of, an MMA star for like yeah, four years. Yeah, that, it's like all these things that he would become for a while. Then eventually went back to sort of being the the old school Undertaker at the end of his career with a big brim hat and everything. So mm-hmm. we're in the biker period of his his thing where mm-hmm. he would just like beat people up. And he didn't drink beer the way like Steve Austin, but there was sort of this like biker bar. He seems like the sort of guy that would have been at the bar that the Terminator went to at the beginning of T2. <laughs> yeah. I, I saw another, I don't know if it was, I think it was SmackDown and, and he was backstage and he had a coffee cup. Pretty sure he wasn't drinking coffee. Pretty sure he was, you know, spitting out his uh, chew into that. So yeah. like, he was that kind of guy. I get the impression that this was probably more of what he was in real life, yeah, and he was definitely. kind of sick of pretending to be a zombie. Yeah. So he was doing this. This is like a five year period mm-hmm. that he basically was a biker, and um, this match, um, it's a it's big four, guy match. It's four four people, right? It's the a two on two. Thing worse than hearing Limp Bizkit is when I hear whoa. It's the big show. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, fuck. The they, they've never made that guy's theme song no. good. And the the just... A-Train and the big show, which I the only way I can describe them uh, is for, I didn't know who they were before, but they look like guys who just want to be Andre the Giant because they're just giant dudes with the weird, like, leotard with the strap over one yeah. shoulder. Some of them, ha- one well, of them has a beard. That's They're the, just big dudes. That's the big show. And the big show got his debut in WCW as the giant. And he oh. was the unofficial, is he, isn't he? Yeah, I we believe at one point they said he's like the son of, of but I, I think that was Andre. like a week. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they they probably got a letter from Andre's family. And then Vince signed him, stole him away from, from Ted Turner and WCW. And they called him, they didn't know what to call him for a while. So they called him Paul White by his real name. And then they called him the Big Nasty. And then they called him the Big Show, which I think might have been a knock at TBS, hmm. Turner's network. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, you really have to like dig deep to get that, but... I think that's where they got that. And then, yeah, he was – the Big Show has more turns than any other wrestler in wrestling. He goes back from being a good guy to a bad guy every, like once a week. He's done it in one show before. And he's also like – I don't even know I think know somebody actually it. did this and they actually did the numbers oh, on yeah. him becoming a good guy, bad guy. He turns at least three times a year. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, he's, his weight fluctuates. So sometimes he's kind of quick and, and lean. And then like, it seems like three months later, he's really fat and slow and he, 
is a funny guy. Like they use him as a comedy character and then they try like, then you don't see him for six weeks and then he comes back and he's so, sort of a badass. He, his character is just all over the place. They never know really what no. to do with him. And usually what they do with characters like this is what they do with Kane when mm-hmm. Kane uh, doesn't have a storyline, which is if you need somebody to come out and clear out the ring and just to be like, Oh my God, it's a badass coming and he's going to destroy everybody. Yeah. They use the big show. The big show comes out and you know that in a Royal Rumble, this just means we're cleaning it out, uh, getting people out of the ring so that the next group of people can come in. And A-Train used to be Prince Albert. Yes. And him and Test uh, were, they kind of, I believe they came in at around the same time. Around and, the same time. And Trish Stratus there was their manager. She came. She went on to become a big star. Yeah, Trish Stratus is a good example of a transition period, mm-hmm. too, between these two eras where Trish Stratus came in as eye candy. That she was a manager, and her job is to have boobs and walk around. And TNA, TNA, Test and Albert, Test and Albert. See, this is a kind of subtlety we're working with here. And um, also, it's a tag team made of two people that nobody cares about, and they figured, hey, we can get a uh, we can get a, a, a sex joke in there. Uh, so basically, Trish Stratus is somebody who. They really said, "Hey, you're just going to be here and walk around and look pretty." I think she was like a fitness model before. Yeah. She came into the WWF, WWE, and she clearly had ambitions above that and became like a really decent wrestler. Yeah, I would say the best of that era for sure. Easily. I mean, she was her and Lita. Her and Lita. That's like you had these two women who didn't want to just be eye candy. And, and honestly, Victoria was really good and Ivory was really good. Ivory's been around forever. Yeah, I mean, so there's a lot of people who they forced it. If you look at women's wrestling in WWE now, it's a completely different time. Yeah, well, they went through the dark ages where you have on this show Tori Wilson and Stacey Keebler, who are eye candy. They they wrestle sometimes. They're no good. Badly. Badly. And on the show, they have a cat fight. Yeah. um, And then now we're back to kind of like actual – then they went through the divas phase, and then now we have – Actual, actual women's women wrestling. wrestling that is good. Women's wrestling that is good, and there's actually some discussion, and a lot of fans are calling for the main event of this year's WrestleMania to be a women's match because the one in Saudi Arabia. You mean not the one in Saudi <laughs> oh, okay. Arabia? That was the one they just that. did. Oh. But no. there, there's some serious discussion because the hottest rivalry they have going right now is like Becky Lynch and Ronda Rousey. Well, Becky Lynch was the fan favorite. She was badass, and then you got Ronda Rousey, who is. A name. She's Hulk Hogan, essentially. Mm-hmm. And she is badass, but she's also, you know, she's not as over with the fans, but she's a household name. People yeah. know who she is. And that's something you can build a pay-per-view around. Mm-hmm. And so that's I would a place. love that. I think it'd be a great WrestleMania pay-per-view. It would be a great WrestleMania, but also we, we, we would never would have seen that during this era. Oh, no. They, they never would have put that because women's matches for a long time were kind of the bathroom break matches because they didn't care about getting good women wrestlers. It'd be two or three really good people and they'd have to work with people that were awful. So they'd spend so much time carrying bad opponents. And it was booked that way. They would have a hot match before and a hot match after, but then they'd have the women's match and it would be, you know, some sloppy wrestling, nothing really to write home about. You know, unless it was like a Trish and Alita or something like that. And this was also coming out of the era of the Attitude Era, where you'd have things like bra and panties matches yeah. and exploitative garbage, um, <laughs> which we're going to talk more about later. <laughs> so um, you might notice that Undertaker has a partner for this tag team match that gets beat up before. Yes. On on Sunday Night Heat. Yeah. 
so uh, Nathan Jones was a, a Australian wrestler who was being brought in because he was a big dude. Vince likes big dudes. The I problem is a lot of big dudes can't wrestle. Was so hyped for Nathan Jones. Oh, they built it up like he was like a scary like prison convict. I thought and, he was going to be badass. Oh, he tore the door off. I guess he was legit part of a string of like armed robberies in Australia and yeah. went to prison. And they were building like, oh my god, he's out of jail and he's like going to fuck shit up. <laughs> and um, it turns out he couldn't fucking wrestle. No. Not at, at all. all. Yeah, and, the, the only impressive part about this two-on-two match really is The Undertaker. Yeah. And now, that's by design, I'm guessing, right? The, There's yeah. no way he's not going to the win. The week before on SmackDown, Taker and Nathan Jones were supposed to have a match. I forget who their opponents were going to be. And Nathan Jones took out their one of their opponents backstage. And then they had to not do the match. And they had a segment where, like... Undertaker takes put his arm around him and he goes, Let me explain to you why that was kind of a bad thing to do. You know, like basically, you know, you should have had your match, get some training in, you know, we could kick their ass. And it was just I'm pretty sure that WWF was just like, Oh shit, we can't put him on the air. He's gonna he's gonna he's, be really bad. He's gonna stink this place up. And it's like and why it's a the tape f- show. <laughs> why the fuck would you get a guy a WrestleMania match when he's that green? It doesn't make any sense. Mm. So they have him get his ass kicked, they then run out and do two kicks, which is I think is a bare minimum. Mm-hmm. But it's a big guy match, and when you have a big guy match, you have a bingo card that you immediately throw out of stuff you expect to see. Like you, nobody's going to come off the top rope. Maybe Undertaker, who's a who's kind of an anomaly as a big guy. He can move a lot better than most of these guys. Nobody's going to suplex Big Show. Nobody's going to throw. You know, maybe you can lift Albert up, but. It's mostly going to be big ham hocks running into each other. I mean, that's what you're, big guy. This is what this match looked like, actually. Yeah, and, giant slabs of meat colliding with each other. And that's that's the thing is it's kind of for me. This was my bathroom break match. Honestly, yeah. is that also it's not interesting because it feels like okay, a tag team of Albert and Big Show. That to me feels like a thing they threw together at the last minute. Yeah, it's like, well, what can we have these big guys fight? How about a couple of other big guys? Yeah, it was it was no good. Uh, after this, Nathan Jones went down to OVW Ohio Valley Wrestling, which is kind of like their mm. t- ter- like their developmental pro- like territory. Uh, they wanted him to improve his skills. They brought him back as the Colossus of Bago Road. That was like his prison that he was in. And <laughs> this pay per view was in March of 2003. In December 2003, he quit because the schedule was too much, and he quit while they were in Perth. So he didn't even have to get a plane ticket back. He was already in Australia. (laughs) Yeah. So that's Nathan Jones in a nutshell. Oh, wow. Yeah, just a bunch of nothing really kind of comes of it. Um, Let's talk about some actual good matches. Because there actually are – we've talked about a lot of low points, and there are a lot of low points in this WrestleMania. But it opens up with actually a pretty good match between Rey Mysterio Mysterio in a fucking awesome Daredevil costume, which is even cooler in retrospect. That is a really good way to open it because Rey Mysterio actually is pretty amazing. His acrobatics, his acrobatic skill is pretty impressive. Yeah, he's kind of like a a luchador type guy. He's a how tall is Rey Mysterio? It's like it's hard to judge. Five six. Yeah, he's a little guy, but he fucking moves yeah. and he flips and he swings off of the the top turnbuckle, off of the the middle of the ropes, and he's just fun to watch. And this is one of the things that WCW did really well that WWF was not good at at that time is they would have a real sort of three you know three circus you know 
you know, yeah. sort of moment where they would say, okay, well, here's the ham hocks running into each other, but here's a couple of little guys doing amazing things, and they would bring in people from Mexico and Japan. Yeah, the first hour of Nitro was always great, because it was a lot of luchador action, and it, there was like a couple clunker matches, and then a ton of luchadors, and it was awesome, because it was the first time I'd ever seen any of that stuff. Because we didn't have a, a, a like a Univision when I was growing up. So, so like, Ray is is great. He is a, he is so much fun to watch, and this mm-hmm. is also one of my favorite eras of Matt Hardy, his opponent, <laughs> where he was kind of, he was like a self help guru, but he was like almost like a modern, like a two thousand three version of what you'd think of like as an Instagram influencer. Yeah, yeah where- <laughs> he had a uh, his titantron or his on screen as he walks to the ring was a windows media player yes <laughs> this is true i freaking loved it and he would always have neat little facts yeah. about himself and yeah, there was a, like, appearing was... in his fourth wrestlemania and then another one was matt often wonders how they did wrestlemania without him yes <laughs> matt well, facts. Who, who comes out who is his cheat his cheat enabler oh comes shannon moore yeah. yeah and shannon moore was in a trio with evan courageous and pre-hurricane uh, Gregory Helms in WCW, they were three count, which was like a boy band. And Shannon Moore, they would have these like weird green panels that they would, like there were little circles that they would dance on. It was really odd. They were, he was one of the guys they brought over from WCW along with the hurricane. I don't know whatever happened to Ed, Evan Courageous. And I kind of like Shannon Moore. He was kind of, again, kind of that luchador style, smaller guy. Um, and then, I, you know, he went, he wrestled a bunch of indies. He was a good friend growing up with Matt Hardy and Jeff Hardy. They all grew up in like Cameron, North Carolina. So I think that had a lot of why, a lot of the reason why he came along with Matt. But uh, he now like has tattoos all over his face, all over his body, and like short hair that's spiked up into mohawks. <laughs> that's the last I saw of, of Shannon it's, Moore. Yeah. So was, I'm guessing Matt Hardy is supposed to be the heel because good guys don't cheat. Yeah. He's but Rey Mysterio kind of looks like a demon which is yeah, yeah. was hard for me to tell i'm like well obviously the cheaters because everyone fucking hates cheaters right yeah mm-hmm. um except except uh, eddie guerrero we all love yeah. eddie guerrero yeah because he uh, lies he cheats because he, he, he gives you kind of a shit-eating grin right to the camera right before mm-hmm. he cheats um but um the thing I, there's some great heel work in this where even if you don't know these two people you can sort of figure out who the bad guy is pretty easily that uh, Shannon Moore is hanging around the outside of the ring. Whenever the ref is is distracted, he would take shots at Ray, and it sort of builds up and becomes more frustrating. He stops Ray Mysterio from being able to capitalize on things, and then finally, there's that moment where he starts to cheat, and uh, Ray ducks, and uh, and uh, Shannon Moore gets punched by his own friend. <laughs> and of course, in that, it's there's a, there's one really awesome move in the middle of this match. Which looks really fucking dangerous, and I don't know why they would try it. Um, where it looks like Matt Hardy's about to do the Razor's Edge from the top rope. The, yes, the Razor's Edge. I think that was called like a crucifix powerbomb, mm-hmm. where you basically have you're sort of back to back with the guy, but you're lifting. That's him what up I thought he was going to do. Yeah, up under his arm, so you're holding this guy's body up, and you're going to fucking throw him. Yeah, and he reverses it into a Hurricane Rana, where you know uh, Rey Mysterio catches the guy around the neck with his legs and flips him over from the top rope. That was really cool. That is a really cool yeah. move. You don't, you don't see Big Show doing that. No. <laughs> Although, you know what? Honestly, like I thought it was a fun opener, but I didn't think it was that great of a match. It's a fun match. Yeah, and that's what I wrote. I wrote fun opener, two out of five probably stars. Because uh, it just it was enough to kind of hook you into the show, but it wasn't... It could have been more. I think yeah. it could have been better. And they kept talking about Matt Hardy's 
put on some weight, you know, and I don't know if this was the fat Hardy stage of Matt Hardy. I think that came later, but they kept pointing out how, you know, oh, he's been, he's put on some weight, blah, 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 blah. And they, I don't know. It was just, it was weird. It was, I thought the announcing throughout this, I mean, we've talked about it already, but I mean, the Tazisms on this show, he had said something about yam bags. I mean, it was very like, <laughs> he said, Ray does his 619, which is you, you take your opponent and you drop them over the second rope and they're kind of just sitting there. And then he runs up from behind them and he holds on to the top and, and middle ropes and he swings and kicks them in the face. Mm. And it's kind of, it's like a six and then one and then nine. It's also the area code that he's from San Diego. Uh, so Taz goes, wine me, dine me, six, one, nine me. <laughs> it's just like, oh, oh Taz. man, <laughs> just awful. Well, oh. well, I mean, you move from, I believe the first match, uh, Matt Hardy wins the first match. And then I, is this the time when you first see the limo pull up with the Miller light catfight girls? <laughs> yes. Oh God. Do we want to yeah. get that out of the no, way right now? We, sh- we should talk about it. So. Uh, this is the most yeah. retrograde, sexist, badly dated garbage. And it's <laughs> if there was ever a moment during this show that I would be terrified to have someone walk in on me watching it and I would have to explain to them what I'm watching, <laughs> it would be this. Um, I, let me see. I, I, you're going to have to probably edit this. but Hi, I'm Katana Baker. I'm Tanya Ballinger. You know us best as the Miller Lite Catfight Girls. Because of my performance in the commercial... So that's what we're dealing with. Yeah. So the thing to understand oh, it is it's it, worse. <laughs> WrestleMania was always big on having celebrities there, which is at WrestleMania three. America, the beautiful was sung by Aretha fucking Franklin. Yeah. It's why you had like Liberace and Mr. T and Muhammad Cin- Ali, was Muhammad Ali, Cindy Lauper. Yeah. I mean, you had people show up at WrestleMania you know, and, and it was a big deal. Later on, they had Pamela Anderson and uh, they were, but they were Mike valets. Tyson. Yeah. Jenny McCarthy. They were, they were, you know, they were valets. They were fighters. You know, they kind of served a purpose. Yeah, that it, it was also somebody that you would have heard of. Yeah, this is the equivalent of them getting the "What's up, guys," <laughs> which they may have had at like WrestleMania 21. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, this is a low point as far as WrestleMania celebrities go, and it also becomes the most embarrassing part of this entire pay per view. I actually looked them up to see what they were up to, and like nothing. Yeah, <laughs> like they one of them has a Wikipedia entry. One of them had a Wikipedia entry. I found it on archive.org. Oh, oh wow! <laughs> so removed. Yeah. So I mean, right? You have the right to be forgotten. <laughs> it was. It so, really was. Like, essentially, this was a series of beer commercials where they'd fight over. I think it was like taste great and less filling, and yeah, then they would get into fights, yes. and they would, of course, lose articles of clothing. So, yeah. So it's so you think it's going to end it's, up innocently enough in the ring. And then they start arguing. I think they start arguing over what is to be the central showcase of this whole thing is who started WrestleMania. Is it Hulk Hogan or is it Vince McMahon? And then they decide how we're going to settle this in the ring or in bed. In the ring or in And you're like, oh, Jesus. They're and the fans, you hear that. <sighs> and like, like, we're going to see something actually happen in on a stage at Safeco Field. Well, I, I, uh, I think it even more, I think even, even more embarrassing is just Jerry Lawler, who is, yeah. he has to, he uh, looks so excited for this. He's, he is the 14 year old boy. Yeah. yeah. He's like, oh. I was pretty sure he was going to jizz himself. And it's like, <laughs> why? Like, why? It's just, uh, again, super super annoying and yeah i didn't even like it at the time like i'm all for potty mouth humor blue humor whatever but 
it was just so bad. It's bad, and it's gotten so they worse. Come, yeah. They come out, and there is a bed in Honest Platform somewhere, and there are four girls who, I guess some of them are Playboy models, I assume. Well, they, 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 there's but, uh, Tori Wilson and Stacey Keebler. Stacey Keebler, by the way, used to date George Clooney. Well, weird. Um, but, and Tori Wilson used to date A-Rod. Oh, I did not uh, know that. Yeah. But anyways... The, so they have a pillow fight, articles of clothing are removed, and then... What's his name? Coach or Chief? Uh, Jonathan Coachman. Jonathan Coachman. Uh, gets his pants pulled down and in front of the women, and we laugh at a guy in his tidy whities and then it's over. And then we try to pretend that none of it ever happened. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and prior to that, they announced the attendance was 54,079 or something like that, 97. And, and then you hear, them, like, J.R. go, Jim Ross goes, boy, that was crazy in front of all of our... 54,000 fans, you know, yeah. you know, like, like, like this was a really great thing. <laughs> oh God. Oh God. And it's only it's saying it was bad at the time. And again, we're going to say, it's just, this is like HP Lovecraft's racism <laughs> that it's like, yes, it was a different time, but it was bad back then too. Yeah. And it's, Oh God. I felt sexually assaulted. <laughs> I Like <laughs> it was, I would, I, I've said this before about something we've watched for this show, but I would rather have somebody walk in on me watching pornography yeah. than mm-hmm. watching that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because pornography, no explanation is needed. This sort of demands an explanation. Yeah. What the <laughs> fuck is this? And we had internet, you know, yeah. it wasn't the best internet in 2003, but we had internet. So it wasn't really necessary. I mean, it kind of looked like Matt Hardy's entrance video back then. Yeah. It was very choppy. Yeah. And you also got to think, too, like, if you're a kid and you're ordering this, your parents probably ordered it for you. They might even be watching it with you. God, that would be uncomfortable. Yeah. And I'm like, we're going to have girls come out and fight on a California queen's or king-size bed on a stage in the outfield of Safeco Field and then, like, smother coach and then pants him yeah it was i just i just it I was could a hear most, my mom being like why do you watch this yeah and i'd be like i don't like this yeah it it's again the thing with wrestling and wrestling will do this if you're a fan frequently is that wrestling at its heart has always been a mix of things that you desperately wish that a non-fan would see and things that you were desperate to hide from non-fans oh, yeah. and stuff that you would he's like no no it's it's great i swear but not this <laughs> And this is one of those moments. This is up there with like the whole horrible story where Mark Henry has like a transsexual prostitute oh, or, Sammy. or the, what was it? Kayentai and I assume choppy PP choppy PP where they like him, them and the Yakuza kidnap Val Venus, the porn star wrestler yeah. and castrate him. And then John Wayne Bobbitt appears with him on TV. That's the kind of stuff yeah. where you're just like, oh! <laughs> commercial break, cut to commercial break. You just, don't want to deal with it and you want to you want to cut to the stuff that's good and this wrestlemania is probably the best example i've seen of these like really high moments where you have like the Shawn michaels chris jericho oh match, my god yeah and then you have the fucking miller like catfight girls <laughs> that these like they're like spokespeople for beer that tear each other's clothes off in the most sort of salacious embarrassing like misogynistic way and you just go oh god can it's like you know what was really awkward about that too was they'd be like this one of the names uh was tanya ballinger and they're like ladies and gentlemen tanya ballinger and the crowd's like and then it just gets quiet because there's that awkward point where they have to walk out the entrance and then across over to the side (laughs) stage and it's not like you keep applauding because you know these people it's just kind of like yeah 
Uh, well, they, they announced somebody. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, okay, what? And it feels like a really long walk. It when, is. It feels like they're going to an execution. Yeah, <laughs> but like when Stacey Keeler and Tori Wilson come out, because they are WWE, you know, quote-unquote wrestlers, like, sorry, they they walk out, but you're, you kind of have the appreciation for them because at least you know who they are. Yeah. This is just like, you're a girl, I sh- shouldn't even know your name, and this is just... You're not going to be famous a year from now. No. I think they uh, thought they would be. I think they were everyone. counting on like the Ali Landry's, you know, from the Cheeto commercial or, or something like that. But this was kind of the age of or the, the Anna Nicole Smith. Yeah, but this was that era of the beginning of reality TV, mm-hmm. where like the first group of people from Survivor all thought they would be movie stars, yeah. and anybody that goes on these shows now thinking they're going to become huge is not. No. And everyone sort of knows that that nobody's really a celebrity from certain things. There are no commercial celebrities anymore. Like wh- who do you It's like this is the equivalent of WrestleMania like 5 having like the where's the beef lady on. <laughs> <laughs> it's just But not, at least we would, remember her. Yeah. I was just going to say it could only be more embarrassing if they had Jared from Subway on. Oh. That would be the, oh, only, would be the I only way. I would almost more guarantee you. I think you, he was on a raw. I I was about to say oh. that. I guarantee oh. you he showed up at some point. He probably got involved in a match. Scrub yeah. that one from the whip down the memory hole right it's like i only want one thing that ended tragically on this show and that's, that's and at least he can wrestle yeah uh but yeah let's let's get into the the benoit uh, oh yeah okay tag team match because it hurts because chris benoit used to be my all-time favorite professional wrestler the dude can fucking go in the ring he makes everyone yeah. he wrestles he's, look good he's tiny he's tiny but he obviously has like insane energy. Yeah, and when he does the backhanded chop on someone, it looks like he's going to slice through their body. <laughs> it looks like he's going to murder them. And funny story about that. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so this was a tag team match between um, Chris Benoit and Rhino, mm-hmm. who is a fucking well named wrestler. Yeah, because he looks like a tree trunk with arms and legs that runs into people really fucking hard. Um, it just add him to the list of people I'd never want to fight. No, um, dude is fucking. I mean, he's huge. He looks like he he looks like a tree stump. Yeah, he, Big, oh, it's a Haas guy. Oh, yeah. uh, Ram Man from the Masters of the Universe. That's who he looks <laughs> yes. like, but taller. Um, and then they have Team Angle, which is Shelton Benjamin and Charlie Haas, who were sort of protégés of Kurt Angle at this time. Yeah, they're both college awesome wrestlers. God, they're oh, fucking they, good. And everyone hated medalists. them when they walked out. I didn't understand Oh, that. yeah, they're bad guys. Oh. Yeah, because they celebrate how badass they were. Like, they, they I don't know, what, what would you call it? Like, the, kind of like Kurt Angle, like, where he's always rubbing it in your face how good he is. Yeah, I think the Kurt Angle was one of my favorite things about his character was that they managed to take a character who draped himself in the American flag and made him a villain. <laughs> because he would come out and rub your faces and how much better he was than you. He would there... br- he'd bring up his like GPA from college <laughs> yeah. and talk about how his scout leader said that he was special. Has there ever been a guy <laughs> that got more bang for his buck for being a gold medalist? No. No. I mean, no. Michael Phelps has like, what, a hundred of them? And like, you don't really hear much. Yeah, but he never beat The Rock. No. But like, <laughs> it, Kurt Angle was just the man. Yeah, because he ended great. up being really good at this new job. Mm-hmm. That Kurt Angle would whine and complain and demand respect because he's a real athlete and he would say things like that. 
and he had integrity, intelligence, and intensity. Yes, the, the three eyes. <laughs> and uh, he would come out and uh, tell people that he would deign to be their champion for the night because their lives are so empty <laughs> that they need someone to look up to, and he would be happy to be their role model. Yeah. Um, but yeah, these guys were sort of the protégés of him, and like with uh, Kurt Angle, they and that sort of we're better than you kind of vibe about it. And like Kurt Angle, this is a really good choice, is they got two guys who are legitimately great technical wrestlers. Yeah. Yeah. And they sort of emulated the wrestling style of Kurt Angle as well. Mm-hmm. And um, then you had Los Guerreros as Eddie and Chavo, who I fucking love. Yeah. Um, was this during their uh, Lie, Cheat, and Steal Definitely, that's what era? they came out to. Yeah, so their whole gimmick was they were good guys that cheated. <laughs> that they would steal things from people, they would lie, and Eddie was the best at this, where Eddie would do something. One of my favorite Eddie moments, I think it was his very last match before he died, is he ended the match with fabricating a disqualification against his opponent. <laughs> that Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember this. That the the, uh, the ref gets knocked down at the same time the opponent does, and Eddie looks right at the camera with this shit-eating grin. He runs out to the outside, grabs a steel chair, and just as he's about to swing it at his opponent, he notices the ref is coming too. So he just smacks the, the chair on the ground and throws the chair to his opponent who catches it, and then Eddie just drops to the ground <laughs> like he's been shot. And the ref gets up... <laughs> And uh, disqualifies his opponent. And it should be mentioned too the uh, Mexican stereotype that oh. they that they pr- you know push here because you know WWFE with their hot takes and everything they are your I don't know I don't even want to say it like you know like the they they kind of portray them as these lying and cheating Mexicans uh, the, again the week before. On SmackDown, they had a little weird skit where they were at a golf cart. They come running up in a, they come driving up in a golf cart that has the little tassels hanging down. You know, like you could see in an old, uh, like uh, hoopty kind of like Mexican car, and they bilk out these like two white guys out of money by like, you know, kicking their ass in golf or something like that. And but like the white guys are like. Oh, we don't need any drinks. We don't need anything. So the white guys are thinking that they're the help at this golf course. And I'm just like, oh, my God, again, with like, this, <laughs> yeah. like racism that's so overt. But, like, again, the odds, you know. It's, yeah, it's it, was, just like, it, was, it was a time. It was. It was rough to watch. So the match itself, though, is fucking great. So yeah. it's two on two on two. Yeah. Which I didn't quite – they tried to explain – how to win the match, and I just didn't grok so, it. So my understanding of how the rules of this match work is normally if you had a, a three-way dance, which is a three-way match, that all three guys wrestle at the same time, and whoever gets the pin on who wins. It doesn't matter if the pin is on the champ or not. That uh, That's the way it normally works. But having three guys wrestle in the ring with tagging would be just a fucking nightmare. So yeah. they come up with these weird alternate rules. So there's two people in the ring at the same time, but anybody can tag anybody. So if yeah. you're getting your it's ass basically kicked... basically a triple threat, right? Yeah. So if... if if the three of us each have a, a wrestling team, I can tag in my partner, or I can tag in Morgan, or I can tag in you, and then you're at the mercy of whoever I was just fighting. <laughs> so the, the champions could lose the belt if the two other people were in the ring. Yeah. They, they don't have to get pinned to lose it. Right. Yeah. So, But you can also reach in and smack somebody in the back and tag yourself into their spot. Yeah. So uh, you can throw somebody in, into Rhino's way, which somebody does at some point. Like, oh, you get him. 
but you can also um, tag in and out and also reach if the action gets too close to you. So there's two people in the ring at any given time. It was a little weird, mm -hmm. but the fact that you can tag yourself in against somebody who doesn't necessarily consent to a tag kind of makes <laughs> that in. Otherwise, you just never let that one team in and uh, make sure that you can get the pin, but only the legal man uh, can pin somebody. Yeah. And we should mention, this is the SmackDown championship, uh, tag champions, I believe. Yeah, that both shows had their own tag yeah, belts. The, the Raw ones were relegated to Sunday Night Heat, which aired on, I think, MTV at the time, prior yeah. to... Uh, MTV? Yeah. yeah, they were wow. part of the pre-show. So there was a match that had uh, Kane, Rob Van Dam, and Lance Storm, who were also all great wrestlers. Poor Lance Storm. <laughs> Poor Lance Storm. He got <laughs> he get, didn't get a chance at a WrestleMania purse for this. Yeah, you get paid better money if you wrestle in WrestleMania. No doubt. But um, what did we get instead from the fucking Miller Catfight Girls? <laughs> yeah, and um, you know what was also weird about this pay per view? John Cena was not on it. Yeah, and, and I, oh. I guess maybe it's weird only because he was on Heat and he did he basically did a rap where he disses Jay Z and Fabulous, and I mean he, this was his like rap hood gimmick from boston and it was it was kind of a bad i mean it was bad it was also kind of, i was as i was gonna say bad i was gonna say funny at the same time because it was kind of funny but funny bad and it was weird to see john cena as like a, a rapper i just kind of put that out of my mind yeah that you sort of see him as kind of the modern hulk hogan yeah. nowadays that he's like the ultimate good guy but he got first popular as a villainous white rapper yeah <laughs> that was his character and he would come out and he would cut promos on people and rag on them in rhyme. And um, but oh yeah, speaking I, I, I of, I think I have one of those. Speaking of promos, uh, So yeah, that's what that's what Cena used to be before he was, you know, Mr. Hustle Loyalty Respect. This is interesting uh listeners of our previous pro wrestling and pro wrestling fans would know promos where one wrestler talks shit or calls them out or sort of exp explains the where their relationship is up until that moment. Um except for like that interview that The Rock had near the very beginning of the show, there really aren't any promos. No. This is no. a promos have all been show. done, right? They've all yeah. been done beforehand. So it's a little it was like a little hard for me uh because I was like I was like I don't know where these guys are and they're sort of Yeah, in the their context beef. is missing yeah. on a pay-per-view like this. They have like little packages before, but it's not enough to really fill you in. Right. The Spe speaking of those those little the little packages are basically these extremely high-speed cut uh <laughs> like the the uh I wouldn't say there's there's no star wipes, but like the really inventive video editing sort of splash to these things is almost like like seizure inducing because they're just like <laughs> yeah. again we're in the odds yes. yeah and they're <laughs> trying to fill what basically explain a month's worth of story in in about two minutes yeah they're better at it nowadays they, than they are were back then they've gotten a lot better nowadays it's it's actually a lot more fun to watch the, the, yeah the like the five they cut them down to like five to seven minutes long yeah some of them are long because well their pay per views are yeah. 
pushing five hours now. Yeah, so they would do some of these things that are like five to seven minutes, and oftentimes it's better than what having watched the the stuff. Yeah, because the the they cut all the good stuff out of it. Getting back to this Guerrero's Benoit match, I, I wrote down two of the best guys in this match are super roided up and dead. Yeah, which is sad. It is really sad. Um, it's and they didn't need to be. They, they didn't, didn't need, need to, to be. be. Well, that's the thing. Wrestling does have a long history. People die really fucking young. I wrote kind of as in my notes throughout this, I kind of put people's statuses, you know, where they're at now. And it's kind of surprising. Like Chris Benoit's dead. Uh, Eddie Guerrero's dead. Uh, Chavo's still around doing stuff with Lucha Underground. Don't know what Charlie Haas is up to. They said, I found a site that said he's active, but um, Rhino's still in the WWE. You know, oh. he still wrestles on is SmackDown. He, he still wrestles? Yeah. And, oh, wow. and so does Shelton Benjamin on on SmackDown, and so right there, out of those nine guys or uh, six guys, two of them are still in the WWE. You know, Kurt Angle's still in the WWE. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, he's part time wrestler, but he's like a full time on air talent. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's weird looking at this and seeing how many people just don't do this yeah. stuff anymore. This is a great match because everyone in it is legitimately good. What is the stuff that I like in professional wrestling? I like heavily technical stuff. I like suplexes. I'm a fucking suplex nerd. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love reversals and chain wrestling, and mm-hmm. I love um, people coming with really unique ways to counter one move into another. Yeah. And these guys are great at it. This is these everyone in this match is fucking spectacular. Eddie is great. Chris Benoit is great. Mm-hmm. Team Angle is great. Um, the the out the 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 one guy that kind of doesn't fit in is Rhino. Yes, yeah, but but he kind of works in this match because he's like everybody will have these technical you know these maneuvers that are awesome, and then you just have Rhino run in and just like gore people. You know, yeah. basically just knock them down, and it it's kind of nice because it breaks up the style. Yeah, that every one. so often this beast runs wild yeah. in the in the ring, and then mm-hmm. everyone has to kind of change their tactics to fight this guy. And yeah, it is kind of weird. It is kind of I don't know if there was much of a storyline between Benoit and Rhino. It does feel like a thrown together tag team. It did, yeah. I didn't. I honestly like don't remember them even being a tag. I don't remember this match that much. I don't really either. I mean, aside from the fact that I was such a big Benoit mark at yeah. the time. But yeah, this is the kind of wrestling that I like, where it's fast and people are doing interesting, cool maneuvers and and reversals. Yeah. A couple takeaways from the match, and again with the Benoit stuff, you know, if if you haven't explained it already, I mean, he murdered his family. They did a scans on his brain. Turned out he had a, a brain of an eighty year old. He had s- severe CTE. You know, so you know, there's I can't remember if this match had a chair shot or not, but um, which was very you know very common at the time. But hearing things in in retrospect, you know, looking back, you know, I hear Taz go, sometimes you just got to sacrifice yourself to ground your opponent. And I'm thinking, sacrifice yourself. And then Cole, he goes, a brain buster to Benoit. And I'm just like, oh, oh fuck, I don't want to hear that. Is that the one? Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then totally unrelated to Benoit, but it was kind of fun to hear. No hockey team in Seattle, but they all know all about triple, uh, but they know all about hat tricks <laughs> because of the, the three Germans. But I was like, oh, we got a hockey team coming. Yeah. <laughs> it's about time, <laughs> 15 Can, years later. <laughs> and I, speaking of the German suplex, is that just the greatest maneuver ever? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I never get sick of seeing it. Of course, the German suplex is that you catch somebody around the waist from behind, and then you fall back and throw them over you. Yeah. Lesnar is probably, nowadays, I think, the king of suplexes. Oh, suplex yeah. City, I mean. Yeah, suplexes are, are 
I, you're going to see a lot more of them, especially in the the Angle Lesnar match in yeah. this one. But oh my god, I love suplexes. Oh, I mean, so does Mike Hagar. Yes, well. he does. That's, that's that's where I come at this from. That's Mike why Hagar. I like Mike Hagar. Some Zangief action in there. But yeah, there's something about just it's very visual of picking somebody completely up and slamming them down, or yeah. flipping them over you, or throwing them. That is just visually just very stunning, and also just you think about how heavy these dudes are. Yeah. You're throwing them over your head. That's really impressive. And doing it in a way that doesn't murder them. No. Huh? <laughs> no, I, I think it's a relatively safe move, actually. Yeah, you do protect the back of the guy's neck yeah. when you fall over. Mm-hmm. But yeah, some of them are just, it's insane. I mean, I've seen some bad ones. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. But there was one, was it this match? I think it was this match where, I can't remember if it was this match or not, but the guy, he throws his opponent in a German, and he does a complete flip. Yes, was yes. that this match? Um, yeah. It was impressive. Where he, fl- he lands on his chest. Yeah. Oh, oh Jesus Christ. <laughs> that could end badly. It was just like, oh, he's he's still going. <laughs> but uh, Michaels versus Jericho? Oh, oh that- So the, my, my note that I've written down here is, if there ever was a match where I thought that the two male wrestlers had a chance of fucking each other, it would be this <laughs> one. And I don't know what it is about the way... Well, certainly Shawn Michaels is the heartbreak kid, is that yeah. what the HBK is. He comes in and he's got this, he's like the complete egomaniac, I'm the most beautiful thing in the world sort of uh, stance. And his opponent, they're all both like guys like... With this beautiful blown out blonde like long blonde hair. And I was like I was like, what the fuck is happening between these two guys? Shawn Michaels With, without the context of knowing what they promoted before, I was like, these guys are gonna fuck each other. Yeah. I don't know what's, what's happening. I mean you can kind of get that takeaway from a lot of Shawn Michaels matches. Yeah. I mean, he posed in Playgirl. Allegedly he didn't know, you know, who the audience was for Playgirl. <laughs> That's what he said. What later I know on, about, I believe. What, I guess what I know about Shawn Michaels is that he's a fucking asshole. I don't think he cares. I get the impression there's a bit of narcissism in Sean mm-hmm. where he doesn't really care. He's just happy that somebody's gawking at him. Yeah. Well, it's and like I think a lot of it a lot of stuff with him has changed too. Cuz in the in the 90s, 95 to what 98, I mean, he was he was on a lot of drugs. He was kind of he was wild. He didn't play by the rules, you know, that kind of stuff. And then he met his wife, who was a former Nitro girl, which was the WCW Nitro mm-hmm. had basically cheerleaders. And he became a born-again Christian. And so that's when you kind of see this change. He still does things, but he, like, he'll, like, gyrate and shit like that. But then, like, he'll be like, oh, you know, I'm just playing around. You know, I, I'm behaving, you know, like. And I believe this is in that post born again face he, he is wearing a crucifix yeah which at the time i was like i don't think that's a good idea to have a crucifix around your neck because you might fall on it and yeah. like punch right <laughs> into your throat yeah jewelry doesn't jewelry doesn't seem to work over really well for a wrestler no you probably don't want to have rings on your finger i'm guessing I, either this one this match kind of has a simple storyline which is i used to look up to you but i'm sick of being compared to you and i'm gonna kick the shit out of you it's kind of like the rivalry in commando between <laughs> Arnold and Vernon Wells. Whereas, like, I'm going to prove my dominance over you by kicking your ass. And they do have a pretty fucking amazing match because they're both kind of high-flying guys who can do amazing things. You do a lot of technical moves. They have a lot of different 
moments, but I was just like, oh God, as much as I know that Shawn Michaels is a piece of shit, <laughs> even post, post, uh, born again Christian, he's just like, he replaced booze and cocaine with Jesus. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the same kind of childish behavior is still there, but, um, he can fucking go in the ring. Oh yeah. His, there's three matches I really remember from this pay-per-view being there. This was one of them. Yeah, this one is fucking great. And I kind of like at the end, they have one of the moments that, that wrestling fans like is when people have a match and they just take each other to their ultimate limits and they're both kind of exhausted at the end. And then you have a sort of a tearful embrace, you know, that moment of respect that you have between the wrestlers. Uh, fans fucking love that. Yeah. And they subvert it by having the, the, the hug finish with just Chris Jericho Kicking him in the balls. <laughs> yeah. And just going, fuck you, I don't respect you, but I lured you in. <laughs> and if you go back and watch that match, the, the uh, Y2J, Jericho, hits a, a sweet chin music, and HBK kicks chin out. music. Yeah, yes. and, and then the crowd response there is that the pop is just something else, and I, I totally remember that. And then they stole each other's moves, which was like kind of a, a thing I feel like throughout this whole pay-per-view was a lot of like finishers used by... The like, opponent. Yeah, by the opponent. You see that later in the Austin match. You see it, you know, throughout. And it's it's kind of cool. But yeah. it's weird because it's almost like nobody, like, backstage that puts these matches together communicated with each other. Yeah, because otherwise they would say, how about you don't do that yeah. so we can have that moment land here. Mm-hmm. But everyone was sort of thinking the same thing. It's the same way, let's, let's have the tearful embrace at the end of this. Mm-hmm. At least this one subverted it. But the fact that you would do that. You would probably only do that once per pay-per-view. Yeah. Of have a, a embrace, even if you do subvert it. Mm-hmm. Stealing finishers, a lot of kicking out of finishers, which yeah. has become the massively overdone thing in wrestling totally. these days. Yeah. Where it just kind of devalues. The finishing move in wrestling is the thing that it's like, okay, if that happens and it's not interrupted, they don't both collapse or um, it's not stopped in some way, then it should end the match. That when you have people kick out of these things over and over again, it devalues the move so that it becomes less of a big deal when it happens. Yeah. Otherwise, just reverse out of it. Um, I mean, it's cool to do it once mm-hmm. during a thing. I think they did it here, but there's a lot of also the same thing. Another thing that gets used over and over beating the bad guy with using your move three times in a row. It happens yeah. in the Hulk Hogan match, it happens in the Rock Austin match. Mm-hmm. It really does, like you said, feel like a lack of communication. Yeah. The other thing I really liked, I have a tendency to really like it when things WWE structures doesn't work. And and when Shawn Michaels walks out, he picks up a like a confetti gun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't go off. And then he walks to the other side and he shoots it and it goes off. Then he walks to the other side, back, and t- tries to shoot off another one and it doesn't go off. And I'm just like, yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, especially nowadays, I mean... At least then, WWE would let their talent go out and cut promos with kind of a basic outline, and then they'd kind of fill in the gaps and kind of be creative. Make it your character. Yeah, and nowadays, everything is so structured, it's written line by line. And, like, I I didn't I heard about it. I didn't see it. But, like, last week on Raw, uh, this guy, Braun Strowman, co- totally just screwed up. He didn't know. His, he couldn't remember his lines. He was getting things wrong. And this has happened with Roman Reigns and a few other people because everything is so structured now. And the even when I see this WWE like in 2003 and I see stuff like that that's structured and it and it doesn't work, I love it because 
it, it shows that like not everything needs to be so scripted, you know, like it has to be perfect. Just, yeah. But also that the people who are good at this, like Shawn Michaels does in this, finds a way to make it work anyway. Yeah. Like, the first time it doesn't go off, he shrugs. Yeah. And this, and then the one time he picks up the last one and he's like, and he kind starts, of like, he's like praying. Yeah. He's like, come on, come on, <laughs> yeah. come on. And then it works. And yeah. then he just, but he kind of makes it a character Whereas thing. Whereas I feel like nowadays you would just see like the guy just drop the gun and try Freeze. and act tough or something like that. Yeah. And it just, just like you panic, you forget. You have to remember always to act like your character. Yeah. And what would my character did if this thing didn't work? So Shawn Michaels is a good guy, so he plays it off as a joke. Yeah. Which is well, and the other thing is Shawn Michaels kind of is his character in real life. Yeah. You know, and that's the other thing is a lot of these characters nowadays aren't who they are. Like I was just listening to Wrestling Observer on the way up here, and they were talking about how Roman Reigns, you know, he actually said "suffer and suck a tash." Yes. Like, <laughs> In a promo. And, but they said that, like, he, he'll go to, like, fan events, you know, or, like, autograph signings, and he's, like, totally funny, totally awesome, really down-to-earth, really cool and smooth and just kind of natural. But they don't let him be that. And so the fans hate him. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, again, going back to white, uh, to Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels, it's, he's, you know, he, he rolls with it. He's like, okay, you know, whatever, you know, it doesn't, it didn't go off. And then he comes back and does the whole prey thing and, like, you know, and it works and, it it fits his character because it's, yeah. it's what he would do probably can if you, this actually happened. And can you roll with little things that happen? I've seen Chris Jericho do the same thing where he's cutting a heel promo about how stupid everyone in this, this crowd is. <laughs> this is another event and somebody throws a glow stick at him <laughs> and he goes, you know, I'd like to see that son of a bitch who, and then suddenly people in the crowd start throwing <laughs> yeah. glow sticks at him <laughs> and, and oftentimes he'll freak out. He's like, no, this is blah, blah, blah. And he'll just like, he'll be oh, in character. Jericho is the best at this kind of stuff. He, I just watched wrestling Kingdom, and he was he's in New, which is New, New Japan Pro Wrestling's their pay per view. It's at the Tokyo mm. Dome. It's their it's their WrestleMania essentially, and he's still wrestling. He's with well, he was doing stuff with New Japan. Now he's doing stuff with Cody Rhodes and All Elite Wrestling, which is going to be that's another story in and of itself. But it's going to be the next kind of big wrestling promotion supposedly if they can get a TV deal. But um, uh, but he did the same thing. Like he was he did a couple things and. And the Japanese audience is usually pretty quiet until, mm. like, the the later matches. And he started to get a rise out of them. And so he just kept doing it and kept pressing them. And it got such a – like, a, it got heat. And it worked so well. And it's just because even though Jericho kind of reinvents his character, there's a bit of him in in every character he does. And, and he's just really good at that. Yeah, he finds a new in every mm-hmm. time. Like, he redefines his look. He redefines the thing. The only thing that stays stead- steadily is that his amazing ring work. Yeah. But I think he really shines when he's the bad guy like this because he's the guy who will throw a fucking fit. Yeah. And doesn't – he will, like, make his voice really shrill and scream at people, and he will just try to make people want to hate him. Um, a couple lines here uh, – was it real or was it Mimorex? Yes. <laughs> dating, yeah. Dating it a bit. Seriously. Uh, let's see. Did I? I don't think there was anything more. Uh, I saw a USA 316 sign. <laughs> yeah. What was the deal with the ass clown? Oh, ass clown, clown is something that uh, Chris oh, Jericho, Jericho calls yeah. people. Oh, yeah. Okay. He called people ass clown. So okay. those were the signs were. Um, 
But yeah, it's, before the end of this, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you what my favorite fan signs are. Was I it was uh, it you are a butt? Yeah, you are yes. a butt. No, I thought no, it's the one about mow the back hair, mow your oh, mow your back. Yeah, mow your back. That was yes. to Albert, I think. Yeah. Uh, Albert was Albert was always kind of famous for being a very hirsute individual. Yeah. <laughs> um, but okay, so getting into the real main event ones, Austin versus The Rock. No, 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 no. McMahon versus Hulk happens first. Oh, McMahon. Oh, let's get into this. The so str- the street fight. This is a listen. And I've played a lot of Street Fighter. There's a Street Fighter machine right behind Mike that I'm looking at. Um, there's very little that is Street Fight about this particular <laughs> match because it takes place inside. Yeah. I think they even said something like, like he was holding his guy, his opponent. What was going on? It was like, um, I don't. Know, I can't remember what was happening. I, should, I wish I'd written this down. But like McMahon is like holding uh, Hulk to the mat or something like that. And like Jerry Lawler, somebody's like, I don't know, you know, this isn't much of a street fight. Yeah. <laughs> it's <just> like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's so weird about this one is that this was the extrapolation of that McMahon character that I really think in retrospect that, yeah, the McMahon character was a big part of that company being able to succeed in the feud with Stone Cold Steve Austin. But the evil authority figure thing really should have ended with that Steve Austin angle mm-hmm. because it it breaks the world. <laughs> it breaks the world. He's that, the punisher of the professional wrestling world. Yeah, where yeah. when you have an authority figure, when you exist in the in-universe world of the WWE, has a guy who owns a company who is outright evil. <laughs> it makes the company itself crooked, owned by an evil guy that you all work for this horrible person, that I would never fucking work for him if he w- if he really acted as yeah. awful as he did as his character, where he's actively trying to screw people out of being the champion, that he's trying to rig everything, that he has you beaten up, that he forces p- uh, his employees to literally kiss his ass sometimes. <laughs> um, all yes. of these things that happen with this character. Yeah. Um, Jim Ross did it. Uh, William, Re- William Regal did it. He made Trish Stratus do it. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's embarrassing. And you just think, who would fucking work there? Yeah. And after a while, we were like, the guy is just an evil, psychotic tyrant. Yeah. It's, it's the same thing. Like, who would choose to work there if you had a choice? Flash forward 16 years later, and it's the same bullshit. It's yeah. the same authority, you know, archetype. It's, it's the evil McMahons, including Triple H ruling the thing ruling the shows both of the shows and making their underlings do shit for them yeah and then the your your main bad guy wrestler just becomes a lackey that you become a henchman really yeah to the big boss and nobody can get over nobody can get over especially as a bad guy in that kind of environment and it also it just gets so fucking old after a while and it also Builds the narrative that this place is crooked. And it spills into other organizations. Yes. Like, you see this when TNA, Total Nonstop Action, Impact Wrestling was was a thing. Well, Impact's still around, but when TNA was a thing, they had Dixie Carter. They had all these authority figures. They had, you know, somebody would come in and, and be, like, the CEO or the commissioner or whatever. And it it's all stems from the McMahon, Mr. McMahon character. Yeah. And you see it now. And, like, I was... Again, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and they're talking. It, there was a call in, and the guy calls in and is like, "Well, who's going to be the authority figure in all elite wrestling?" And the host was like, 
there doesn't need to be one. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, exactly. Like, remember? I'm so sick of this shit. <laughs> back in the 80s, uh, the WWF had a guy named Jack Tunney who was the oh, on-air yeah. president. And he would never show up unless an announcement needed to be made. And it would mostly be him sitting at his desk. Yeah. and Or he'd be there to sign a contract. And there was a sense that there was, like, an adult running the company. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and he, he was, need- like, a lot of times he was used if, like, you, like a wrestler would get injured in in real life. And they'd have to be like, you know, this authority figure that you never ever see who works at the in the offices, he, he has to change the match. Or he's going to book a big match, you know. It was never like, he wasn't, he wouldn't show up at the arena and like, you know, kick one of the wrestlers in the balls or something like that. Yeah, he would show up and give the sad news that because of this action, yeah. that he had to strip somebody of the title mm-hmm. or because they're injured, they have to relinquish it. Or and if now the bad having... guy was cheating too much, yeah. they'd be like, you know, we reviewed the tapes and you're suspended for 60 days, you know, or something dumb like that. It felt like it was pretending to be a real sports organization. Exactly. It, yeah, it just it was, was like populated the Pete by Roselle of. <laughs> yeah, it's like this is a world populated by crazy people, but adults run the show, where it just seems like this crazy tyrant thing, and it gets into this this Hogan-McMahon match, where yeah. he's like, I hate one of my employees, <laughs> and I'm going to kill him. Yeah. I created you, now I'm going to kill you. Yeah. So the, so the, the tension here is that... Um, <clears throat> something that i don't know if this happens in real life they like that there's some kind of court battle and hulk hogan testifies against no, a real life real steroid life. trial oh oh uh and that tur- this turns into um uh renewing hulk hogan's contract i guess and as a stipulation <laughs> to the contract they have to fight and if hulk hogan loses the match he has to retire from wrestling forever. imagine having a contract where you had to fight your boss <laughs> yes. yeah this so is there's kind of like two big reasons this, this match happens one Vince says, "I created WrestleMania. Or I created Hulkamania. I created your character, essentially, and I can kill you. You know, and and so what happened was, for those who haven't been following wrestling, is Hulk Hogan started off in Minneapolis in the AWA was a huge, huge talent there, and um, he was stolen by Vince McMahon." Um, because of that, the you know one of the factors into AWA folding was they lost him and Gene Okerlund actually, and then he became the big you know the Hulkamania we all know the Hulkster all that stuff that stemmed out of him coming to WWF. Well, in the nineties, um, Vince was kind of seeing these wrestlers and saying you know they're getting a little too old, and he kind of just didn't want to renew the Hulkster's uh, contract from what I understand. And uh, Ted Turner comes along, poaches him, pays him a hell of a lot more money, and he becomes the face of WCW. So they turn this into a storyline after after WCW folds. Uh, I, how long would you say that Hulk set out? Probably like a year and a half? Yeah, probably. And then finally, the ratings, I think, were starting to dip a little bit, and they brought back Hulk Hogan in the NWO. He becomes a bad guy, which is yeah. something he'd never been before. So that's well, he'd the... been a bad guy in WCW. Yeah, a cool bad guy. Yeah, I he's guess. the cool bad guy. And then he came back to WWE, like l- behind the scenes, legit, as this faction, the NWO. And then it kind of that didn't from... really go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, and eventually, of course, nostalgia will always yeah. kind of return everything to its original form, and they want to have Hulk Hogan in the red and yellow. And yeah. it's it's really weird because it really just kind of comes down to Vince McMahon's ego taking a spot on the show that mm-hmm. should go to a wrestler. But it was a really good match. It 
Was it? I thought so. I think it's effective at what it's doing, but it's. I think, as our our friend Jim Ross likes to say, this is a match that was do- uh, bowling shoe ugly. <laughs> <laughs> I I okay. So I, so, it, so it's a, it is essentially not a wrestling match of who can pin each other. It's like who can murder each other first. It's or it's Vince McMahon <clears throat> literally. He's he's trying to murder the character of Hulk Hogan, but he's doing it in a way where he's trying his level best to murder Hulk Hogan. Yeah, to the, end his life. The, there's no rules in the match, and you can do whatever. So when Roddy Piper runs out and, and hits him with a lead pipe, yeah, it doesn't doesn't change Ro- anything. Roddy Piper, Roddy, get Piper. it? <laughs> yeah, get it? Yeah, of course. So I thought I actually did kind of think this match was fun for what it was you know like it's not something i would want to see every day vince mcmahon was actually better than i remember as a as a wrestler actually you know even though it was you know he wasn't doing oh, like, i mean he sucks though i mean yeah. if you co- compared to what comes before and after oh him, yeah, yeah yeah it's he's terrible but, but obviously he, he he did better than i thought he would have done and it was kind of i do remember this i remember the scene where he you know grabs the rod and like Oh, when they you shoot yes. from the other side, and he comes up like like fucking Jack Nicholson. <laughs> yes. And it's, I remember seeing that in the stadium yeah. and being like, "Oh, because it is a great moment." Yeah, it's the be- the best part of that match is Vince McMahon, his face covered in blood, being photographed in a close up from across the ring. <laughs> this evil smile on his face yeah. as he's going to beat Hulk Hogan with a yeah. lead pipe. But you could tell also, like especially when you when you watch it again, like now, 13, fifteen years later, sixteen years later. You can, I, I was like watching to see how they set this shot up, and you mm-hmm. see him. They had the camera on him from behind, and you see him slowly coming up, and then they switch cameras. And I was like, "Oh, you know that they had this That's, planned, that whole- like so much. Like it wasn't just, and you know, it's wrestling, obviously, yeah. but like it was just, it was the most planned part of the match. The yeah. whole match was built around that yeah. moment. But um- but there was so much gratuitous, like blood and violence like hugo savinovich the the spanish announcer takes a chair shot to the head and, he's and busted. gets busted open he's uh, they they killed the spanish announcer <laughs> and i don't even know if it was planned i don't think it was i don't was. think it was too because because you hear taz go like get a camera on him because he was busted open and yeah. then you don't really see him until like Maybe five minutes later, he's, he's got bleeding. Yeah. Does he's it, gonna, doesn't uh, uh, Vince McMahon pick up a monitor at some point yes. and use it as a weapon? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the poor Spanish announcement. But team. they're both super bloody. Vince is dripping blood everywhere, you know, and it's just, again, the odds. It's, they, they, now they have a rule against blood. They yeah. don't allow it except unless it happens legit. Yeah. And, Certain guys can get away with blood, like a Triple H who still wrestles on occasion. He's not getting fired. No. And I've seen Brock get busted open. And then they did have a rule there. If you got busted open the hard way, as they say, legit. Um, So I've seen matches where a guy hits a guy hard enough to bust him open. Like Randy Orton got, got cut open. And it was just like, I'd rather him cut himself with a blade like they do. Yeah. And just have a little cut. Then actually take punches to the head, yes, <laughs> in order to get some blood. Yeah. Oh, because it could be fucking brutal. Because I think I think Vince does blade in this match. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because he's you can see it. You can kinda. see it. He's face down and he has his hands up there. So, but yeah, blading. Of course, you have a razor blade usually hidden in your um, your tape around your wrist, mm-hmm. and you can get that out and and usually you cut yourself on your on the hairline. Because it won't show what is the yeah. scar. That's why a lot of older, old school wrestlers have a lot of scars on their yeah, forehead. Google Dusty Rhodes. No, oh, Dusty Rhodes is a walking scar. Yeah, and well, not yeah, anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> uh, Google um, 
New Jack. New Jack Abdullah the Butcher. Yeah. Um, Devon Dudley. Devon Dudley's got it too. Yeah. yeah. The classic forehead scars from blading. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, you could, it's, it's, yeah. This match is, is brutal. It does its job. It, I will say, like, I'm a bit of a classic fan where I do like a little bit of blood in my matches. Like, yeah. it adds an element of reality. Mm-hmm. Because if you watch two dudes beat each other up for 20 minutes and there's no blood, it's kind of weird. You know, if you were at a bar and you see two guys go at it for five minutes, there's usually going to be some blood. Mm-hmm. So it adds that element of reality. I don't necessarily think it's needed, but it does. Yeah, because at help. its worst, it's super frightening and gratuitous. Where and you're I like, think a little goes a long way, actually. Yeah. I think this had too much. There was way too much blood. Yeah. Well, um, and of course, the, the what happens, as you suspect, in the end is that. You know, after being what looks to be like being near paralyzed <laughs> and unable to like move his body, uh, you know, Hulk Hogan like resurrects himself yeah. and oh, is impervious up. to pain. That's his move. He hulks out. Yeah, yeah. that he gets that point totally where impervious. To he just starts shaking. Did and we mention Piper coming in yet? Yeah, Piper. Yeah. Rowdy Roddy Piper comes back. I actually had a big fucking reaction to this when I saw it live. I'm like, I did not expect to see this guy. I didn't either, and I completely, completely forgot about it. As I was watching this, I was like, what the hell? Who's that? And I was like, oh, fuck, Piper's back. And it doesn't, I don't, I don't remember this, the context at the time, but it seems so unnecessary. Why is he evil? I don't understand why he's helping Vince McMahon murder Hulk Hogan. It I don't know. I think it's sense. shocking because they build it up when he comes in. He's waving the lead pipe like he's going to attack Hulk Hogan. Yeah. He's, Doesn't it, he get a shot in? Does he? No, oh, he does. He's, he's, he's teasing Vince first. Like, get up, come on, get up, and then he turns and hits Hogan when mm-hmm. Hogan gets up. Yeah. Um, they really had no plan for Piper, aside from this moment. I know he does a Piper's Pit two weeks later. Because that's the way to, to use him at a certain point. He's not at the age at this point where he can wrestle, and I think he has an artificial hip at this point. Yeah. And it's just, yeah. It's- Speaking of artificial hips, Hulk Hogan does two leg drops, but after the first one, he kind of wobbles up, and yeah. I'm just like, oh, it looks like he did some damage. That is, that's the thing, is that he has a finishing move that you probably should stop doing when you're that age. Oh, certainly. Because, I mean, literally, what is the thing you, you get fucked up when you get old? It's definitely your hips and your yeah. knees. I'm going to drop on both of those at the same time. <laughs> and, yeah, the leg drop is just, yeah, it's it probably shortened his life. <laughs> It's like, why couldn't have I had a fucking sleeper hold? Why couldn't that have been my finishing move? So, yeah, what else happens? So, uh, Piper shows up. Uh, he delivers a shot to Hogan's head. Um, he's wearing a Frats shirt. It looks like his. Yes. What is that about? Do you okay, remember? I do. The Frats shirt he was wearing, because the, uh, the names on the back are yeah. the names of wrestlers who had died. That's what I th- I saw that. I mean, I saw something like Gone But Not Forgotten or yes. something like that, but I, I and I assumed it was that much, but I wasn't sure exactly what it was. And that list is a lot bigger now. Oh, including Piper. Want, including Piper, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a, it was, uh, the, his shirt, Frats, was, and it's written in the Hot Rod font yeah. on the front. But yeah, that's a, a, the names of all these wrestlers that had died. Okay. So, yeah, it's uh, pretty crazy. Um, it's weird that he wore it. At WrestleMania. I think he just didn't give a shit, honestly. Or they didn't know. Oh, they, they didn't thought know. it was, said Hot Rod or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I think that Piper's definitely always been the sort of guy who would beg forgiveness rather than ask permission. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's ever cared. I think he just does what he thinks is funny or is in that moment. And you just kind of have to roll with it because there's a live camera on. I also think that Hot Rod is one of those guys that if he's on his own, he sucks. 
But when he's kind of controlled, he's one of the few things in WWE, if they're kind of controlling him and structuring him, he's awesome. Yeah. But when he kind of is left to his own devices, mm, not so much. No. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, uh, Rock versus Austin in what I didn't know at the time is Stone Cold Steve Austin's very last wrestling match. Oh, really? Before you say this, I want to mention Hulk Hogan comes out when he, at the very beginning, he walks out. And if you're watching this on the WWE Network, they have some sort of fake voodoo child kind of song. And it's like, (laughs) and you see him like playing air guitar and it doesn't fit in. Yes. And then I went back and I looked at my DVD release, or at least I I have a rip of a DVD. I own the DVD somewhere. It's in storage. But I I had a rip of it. And they played uh, Real American. Oh, God. And so he's air guitaring to Real American and doesn't fit. And so you see Hogan kind of air guitaring and walking and he... Because it doesn't match the, yeah. the music, he looks like he's hobbling to the ring, like like oh my god! And yeah, he's pretty old at this point, but you know, I mean, he's a hard fifty at this point. But yeah. like, he it just looks awful, and the music that they have is so bad. Of all the fucking things that they own, yeah, uh, the amount of music that WWE owns, they use this fake shit, and mm-hmm. I'm like, just come on, yeah. I can't, they have, I mean, they're billion dollar company. How much can it cost to license? a Jimi Hendrix song for an entrance at a WrestleMania that they originally had. Yeah. It's just, it's bad. So, so uh, yeah, going back to Austin versus rock, yes. uh, Austin's this very is last the, match. This is, and this is the first Steve Austin, only, first and only Steve Austin match I've ever seen in my You've ever life. seen. Whoa. Yeah. So what is your impression of Stone Cold Steve Austin? Given- uh, he, uh, I, I mean, the biggest one is the fuck you attitude, where obviously his sort of salute is just the middle fingers, which he's giving to the fans and the fans are giving back to him. I, there was no beer drinking, unfortunately. I, I You had told me about it. I was hoping he was just going to pound a beer on stage. <laughs> it's kind of his old thing. He kind of drinks beer the way Cookie Monster eats cookies. <laughs> <laughs> they just fall, you know, just, just falls out of his yeah, mouth. Yeah, foams up in his mouth and just kind of dribbles everywhere. Yeah. Uh, uh, he looked... He looked super stiff, and he didn't... And I don't know what he looked like before, but he looked super stiff and be like, well, they're playing up the the myth, the myth mythos of Steve Austin as being this, like, indomitable badass because The Rock looked a lot more comfortable. He looked a lot more comfortable, a lot, a lot more able to, to, to prosecute himself. And I will say, the, the thing about him is, like, the, uh, the having... Him take off his vest and then have the rock put on his vest as a way to mock him was actually pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. Like that's, a, that's a hilarious turn. It was also pretty funny because when I'm watching this, you're used to seeing Steve Austin in that vest mm-hmm. and it looks natural, but it looks really stupid. Yeah, <laughs> when you see like the rock put it on, he looks like a toddler or yeah. something. You know, he's just it's very weird, and he wears it for, like I forgot how long he basically wears it for most of the match. Yeah. <laughs> He wears it until he takes it off for the people's elbow. Yeah, yeah. And it's pretty fucking bonkers. But yeah. yeah, he keeps it on because he's too busy getting punched to take it off. Um, the other I was, thing I remember about this, too, is like, this is, like I said earlier, that this is when The Rock comes back from his first stint in Hollywood. And I don't know what it was, but like The Rock had a hell of a lot of charisma prior to leaving. But when he came back, he was like another level. Yeah. And in, I mean, he's even higher now because he's like Hollywood. I mean, big time Hollywood guy. Because he's for real Hollywood yeah, now. But he I mean, was just in the Scorpion point, King back then. His character <laughs> is his character is this like I'm too good for you, fuck off everyone else kind of character. And it, 
I hated it, but I also loved it. I like, love he it, did yeah. a really good job of kind of like infuriating people. Because when a wrestler goes away and comes back, mm-hmm. it's really hard to fight the we love you, welcome back. And it wasn't like love. he was doing the Marine 4. <laughs> no, it was like in an actual big screen movie. Yeah, this was and the mummy. My He also did one of my favorite things a bad guy wrestler had done, which is that he'd cut promos on how he's too good for wrestling. He's too good. He's a Hollywood guy now. And. There's a promo where he gets interrupted by his cell phone ringing, and he takes the call, <laughs> and the crowd starts to boo him, and he yells at them, the rock's on the phone! So the week prior, he has, I believe it's his first rock concert. Yes. Where he's, he brings out his acoustic guitar that's signed by Willie Nelson or somebody, and he sings some shitty song, and then Steve Austin comes out and smashes the guitar, and it's fun. It's fun, but yeah, they, they, they duke it out. Um this one is a lot less of a technical match. It's a lot more of a brawl. Steve Austin broke his neck a few years before this, mm-hmm. oh. so he's a lot less. That's, uh, that's is why he looked like stiff. Like he yeah. looked like he was, you know, very erect, and he didn't didn't move very much. Yeah, he makes up his his lack of of a move set with an intensity yeah. and character work. This this one is all about theatrics, and also the Rock selling like fucking crazy for him. Is the Rock makes Austin look like a million bucks because he throws himself all over the ring to make Austin's beating look like a big deal. Yeah. And he's pretty fucking top notch. And the fact that the rock is as big of a star as he is selling Mm -hmm. for anyone that way is pretty awesome. Coolness in, in his category. Yeah. This kind of, even though like the rock had already been at the tops of WWE, I kind of felt like this was a passing of the torch kind of moment, even though like it was maybe two years too late. Yeah. Like it, it just, it was a, it was a fun match, and and like I liked again the opponent, you know, The Rock stealing Steve Austin's move set, doing a, a stunner and stuff like that, and uh, The Rock hitting, uh, getting hit with his own rock bottom. By or, Steve yeah, Austin. The Rock doing the stunner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they they traded it back and forth. They kick out of each other's moves. The character work and the theatrical stuff. The Rock doing a lot of old school heel stuff where he's just like fuck this, and he decides to leave at one point. Mm-hmm. Uh, all that stuff is done really well. These guys. Um, you know, the other, you know, like you can go to Shawn Michaels and Chris Jericho for this crazy, high flying, over the top technical stuff. You can go to the tag match with Benoit and Eddie for a lot of that too. But really with, with Austin and The Rock is they so fully inhabit their characters mm-hmm. that you don't doubt that they are this. And that's like you said before about like Roman Reigns being forced to do stuff. Yeah. That's against his natural personality and it mm-hmm. doesn't feel genuine. It doesn't feel authentic. The best wrestlers, they basically create an exaggerated version of their real life personality. Yeah. And and Casey, you mentioned you didn't you don't you hadn't seen any, you know, promos or anything leading up to this. So that's another thing. These two guys are like the most charismatic and like casual. Like you could just tell him go out there and cut a mean guy promo against this guy, and like Steve Austin will just be like, "Oh hell yeah, motherfucker!" Blah blah blah, you know. And it's you know it's so natural. Just you don't even he doesn't need a script. Whereas nowadays, if this if if you flash forward fifteen years and put a younger Steve Austin in this, they would script him down to each little line, and it would come off as like. I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> you know? And they would have some kind of stupid pun. And yeah. it ends up making everyone sound the same. Yeah. The best Steve Austin moments, the thing that made him the big star that he was, is he won uh, the King of the Ring tournament in like 96. Yeah, Ringmaster. The uh, Ringmaster. He won and defeated uh, Jake the Snake Roberts in the final tournament. And this is about the time everyone kind of knew that Jake the Snake is kind of famous for two things. He's really into <laughs> Jesus and he's really into booze. 
and uh, in excess in both in both counts <laughs> that uh, there are stories that Mick Foley tells of sharing a hotel room with Jake the Snake and that he woke up and Jake the Snake had flipped over the top of a turntable thinking it was a toilet and was peeing on it. That's how drunk he was. <laughs> so um, Steve Austin kicks Jake the Snake's ass at the end of this tournament and he's up there with uh, Michael Hayes, you know, Doc Hendricks, I think he was being called at yeah. the time, who also appeared at the beginning of Highlander. Oh. As one of the wrestlers, um, to give his, his coronation speech as King of the Ring. And Steve Austin says, get that piece of trash out of my ring. <laughs> um, and says, you go ahead, you go thump your Bible. You can, you can have your John 316. Well, Austin 316 says, I just whipped your ass. <laughs> yeah. And that was an ad libbed line. And that's something that you wouldn't get nowadays. No. And it became marketing gold. It is. I mean, how many fucking t-shirts? I still have an Austin 316 with the old old WWF logo on it. Yeah, it looks brand new too. <laughs> they never would have uh, had that moment. They wouldn't have had a lot of classic wrestling moments no. if they didn't just say, "Here's the Rudy outline." Poo, candy ass. Yeah, the everything the Rock came up with, <laughs> the Rock came up with. Not a bunch of guys in the back came up with it and said, "This sounds cool." And here, here's your entire five paragraph thing. SmackDown. Yeah. The word SmackDown. Yeah, it's in the fucking dictionary yeah. now. And The that Rock invented a, that. Yeah. Shakespeare invented words. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's fucking crazy. But again, um, I think this again is in that, that transition moment. WrestleMania 19 is in a moment from sort of the Wild West of what you could get away with to the much more controlled, and I would say nowadays over-controlled method of running a wrestling show. Mm-hmm. That you have to, you have to let the moments that you, you build the pillars and these are the things that are planned out from the beginning. This is the end of the match. This is this high point. And that you give people the freedom to come up with all the stuff in between that your, your job is to go out there and make fun of him about this one thing. Mm-hmm. And you, this is the point you're trying to make. And you're like, okay, I can do that. And you send, you know, the rock out there to say that. But nowadays he's like, here's five paragraphs. So you can memorize this. Yeah. And it's like, you should know your own character well enough that you should be able to make this point better than anyone and make it sound like you'd actually say it. Yeah. And I think that's a real, the real problem with, with WWE wrestling nowadays mm-hmm. yeah. is that it's so tightly controlled and so micromanaged. They have something like 26 writers or 32, yeah. something like that. Yeah. You know? That's, and that's it crazy. Like a lot. And at this point, I think there's a handful of guys writing stuff. You know, it's, it's not only the wrestlers writing their own characters, but it's, it's like Vince, Pat Patterson, uh, probably Jerry Briscoe um, was Vince Russo was gone at this point. Oh, thank God! Yeah, and then everything awful from the Attitude Era that was generally Vince Russo. Anything involving poop or boobs, yeah, <laughs> was Vince Russo. <laughs> and he tried to pretend like he had invented the Rock and Steve Austin and all this stuff. That was all me. I'm rather successful. He went to WCW and crashed and burned. It was awful. Yeah. It was fucking awful. So, <laughs> so the 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 denouement is that The Rock has never won against Stone Cold Steve Austin, right? And, yeah. And and The Rock wins, and it's like pandemonium. Oh yeah, it's total yeah. pandemonium. Yeah, it's uh, it, The Rock has always been kind of great in those moments. It, the the theatrics of wrestling, he has like a doctorate in. He knows how to do this. He knows how to make everything look like him. Like he does this thing when he stomps somebody on the ground where he does a little leg shake before he stomps them. <laughs> it's his it's, subtleties, yeah. It's like the little things that he does. There's a lot of abuse of, of poor Earl Hebner, the referee in this match, yeah. where he's right, getting in the way. Right. Everyone's shoving him around. And I'm like, whoa. This was about the time Earl Hebner should have been probably done. He's yeah. in the way a lot 
He's super annoying. He, he gets in the way, and they're constantly shoving him. Yeah. And, and there's, how many times Steve Austin gives him the finger? <laughs> just like, fuck you. And he's like, I'm warning you, I'm warning you. And he's like, Rrr! gives mm. him the finger. And then the Rock does that thing that I think he does really well, where he pulls his arm up like he's about to smack somebody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, But yeah, that it ends with the Rock winning after three Rock Bottoms. In a row, yeah. Kind of, it's like the Hogan match wasn't that long ago, yeah. To end it because he ends with three leg drops and right again. This is the same kind of deal where you're seeing, you know, no communication, right? Otherwise, and do you remember remember how he pins him? No, he just drags his arm over him, just like in the Triple H match. Yeah. Oh God! So we're still doing that. So we finally get. I believe. I believe it's that match. Yeah, I did as. Yeah, he does. He does because he's exhausted. Yeah. Um, we finally get to Kurt Angle. Well, before that, I'm also going to mention that, um, do you remember the fallout to this? Oh, cause Goldberg comes back. Yeah. So the next night on raw in Seattle at key arena, which I wasn't at, were you at that? No, no. I, um, I watched a little bit of it and, um, it starts off with Eric Bischoff coming out. St- Steve Austin's in the ring and Eric Bischoff basically lists all these injuries that, that Steve Austin had been in Harborview. They actually mentioned Harborview uh, the night before WrestleMania. And he reads all these injuries. He's got these cervical spine injuries, these C6, C7, and blah, 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 blah. And basically says, you're not fit to wrestle. And apparently the stuff he was reading is true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was all legit injuries. And that was, that's why that was his last match. And they Mm -hmm. basically fire him from, from WWE. But then he comes back a month later as Sheriff Austin. Yeah, and he's like, and then, he's an authority figure. Yeah, exactly, because the, the world needs another authority figure. You got Eric Bischoff as well. And then, uh, yeah, Goldberg shows up and challenges The Rock. And that's the first time Goldberg had been in WWE. About a year and a half too late yes. to have made an impact. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's weird. So getting to the, the main event. Well, did we – I keep I keep interrupting. Did we talk about the ladies' match? Oh yeah, oh, the yeah. three, the three, the j- that was actually a lot jazz and I jazz Victoria down. and Trish Stratus. Yeah, I was actually impressed. They I was did, too. They did an incredibly good job, and it was a great way to clean um, the the Miller Catfight Girls bullshit out of your brain. Yeah, because <laughs> you're like, oh yeah, women are allowed to actually do things too. Yeah, and this came right after the Miller Light Girls or whatever they were. Do you think that was deliberate? I don't know. I, I mean, I guess... Is a mea culpa? I guess... Because <laughs> it should be. I guess the thought behind it is guys would get hot for this, and they'd still be pretty hot for the you know the women match, because boobies. Yeah, the one real downside of this, again, was fucking Jerry Lawler. Yeah. Because Jerry oh, Lawler so would just keep annoying. breaking up the fucking 13-year-old boy bullshit, and you're like, you know, can we fucking treat them like athletes, please? Yeah. And, there, well, there's, there's also some racism, too, because at a certain point in time... Jerry Lawler says of Jazz that she has a Mike Tyson like attitude, like oh yeah. And he goes, if "This I, is this is way past rape. This is way and he past goes, beating I up your girlfriend." I think that's a compliment or something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. Also, ah. Victoria comes out to some weird music. Yes, but it's supposed to be tattoo. Yes, the the Russian lesbian girl group. Yeah, from the early two. <laughs> oh, right. Again, oh my God. it's the aughts. Um, uh, yeah. Let's see. Lawler says. Wonder if a triple threat match can turn into a a love triangle. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, Jerry Lawler. And then puppies, 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 puppies. Jesus Christ, Jerry Which, Lawler. If you don't know, is what he calls boobs. Yes. Because puppies. That's boobs? that's really strange. It is. And Victoria's out there with Stephen Richards. Yeah. Who interferes? Of course. <laughs> um. 
Trish is still kind of wrestling in WWE. Jazz is the NWA women's champion. Victoria uh, owns a pizza restaurant in Chicago. And Stevie Richards pitched a perfect game in MLB 2K11, but didn't win a million-dollar prize because he did it before the contest. Uh, so that's where all these people are at now. But yeah, so Trish is still, <laughs> Trish is still around, um, which she's great. Still. Yeah, she's still great. She's yeah. in uh, Women's Evolution. And I think, and, and look good. I think that she's a big part of the reason that women's wrestling has changed yeah. since then, that we treat people like athletes and we commentate matches like we're not doing play-by-play on pornography anymore. Mm-hmm. And Jazz is before her time. Yeah. Because she doesn't have the look, so to speak, of a WWE, WWE diva. She's, she's, you know... She she's, looks like an athlete. She, she does. doesn't look like yeah. a porn star. She's not the typical, you know, what you know, blonde-haired, big-boobed, like, Vince McMahon, what he wants. But if she was around now at the age she was then... I mean, well, like I said, she's still, she's the National Wrestling Alliance Women's Champion, and I think she's like forty-seven or something like that. If she was around now, she'd she'd still be in the she'd be a, a top star. Yeah, no doubt. Because the the expectations are different now that we just want a good match. Yeah, and oftentimes the women's matches get as big of a reaction, if not mm-hmm. more so, than the men's matches. Yeah. And because it's not treated like garbage. And it was almost treated like, oh, we're doing this because of a court-ordered mandate back then. I I go to local shows here in Seattle. I go to Defy and WAC without a cause. And the women's matches are oftentimes better than most of the men's matches. You know, there's a woman out of Vancouver, Nicole Matthews. She's great. She's great. And, like, I hope she becomes a star, you know. She's got some visa issues, I believe, with, uh, with coming back into the United States but um but she was on the May Young tournament and mm-hmm. you know it's it's a renaissance of great women athletes that I, I don't know it's just great it's good to see it it's great because also somebody who is that good can have opponents that can come to their level mm-hmm. because around the time that you know Trish was wrestling at her height at this time there were like a handful of female wrestlers that could keep up with her mm-hmm. and they're in this match because yeah. I don't think Lita was working for them at the time. I don't think so. So, I mean, pretty much these are the three that could wrestle. And most of the time they would have to go into the ring with like Stacy Keebler and carry Stacy Keebler to a match. And because I have to carry Stacy Keebler, I'm not allowed to do what I can do. Yeah. It's, it's like if The Rock only had to wrestle against Michael Cole <laughs> and like Pat Patterson at his current age, where it's just like, okay, I have to make this look like a fight, and I can't do the stuff I can do because I can't trust them to be able to take it, and I can't take the stuff I know I can take because they can't dish it out. Yeah. And it was just like, it it held them back, and the fact that Trish was able to inspire a whole new generation of women wrestlers who mm-hmm. say, I want to wrestle like that. I don't want that catfight bullshit. Right. I don't want a brawn panties match. I want to be treated like a fucking athlete. Yeah. And the fact that we they had to fight. I mean, I know that the difference between, you know, I think it was the beginning of the era where Vince didn't want to call wrestlers wrestlers. Yeah. They started saying superstars and divas. Yeah. And it was only sports in the last... entertainers. Sports entertainers. It was only in the last couple of years that they got rid of the divas name and just called women superstars too. Mm-hmm. It's like only then. And now because they've given women the place where they can wrestle to their full capability with a roster of people who can keep up with them and not just eye candy, yeah, they are getting more popular. They're having bigger matches. They're main eventing pay-per-views. Yeah. Asuka is a 
phenomenal wrestler. Io, uh, Io Shirai in NXT, she's amazing. It, it is um, Shayna Baszler. I mean, there's there's so many great women wrestlers right I would, now. I would argue Becky Lynch is probably the most over wrestler oh, in WWE right certainly. now. Certainly. And like more popular than any of the dudes. And the worst thing is people try and compare her to Steve Austin. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't need that comparison. No. She's Becky Lynch. So we've come a long fucking way from, <laughs> again, it's the odds. Yeah. And uh, I guess let's get into the main event of Certainly. this. Uh, this is, of course, Brock Lesnar versus Kurt Angle. And if you've never seen Brock Lesnar before, because he's become a UFC star as well, um, you know those movies where, like, an evil scientist injects a soldier <laughs> with something that turns them into a monster? He, he does look like that. <laughs> he does. It looks like that, or it looks like Brock Lesnar is a midway point between Bruce Banner and the Hulk. <laughs> um, the dude's a beast, and for a guy that big, he can fucking move. He yeah. wrestles way better than a big guy should wrestle. He's faster, he's stronger. You know, I said that nobody ever suplexes the big show. He does. Mm-hmm. Where it's like there's a certain amount that you can't do safely to somebody that big, but he's so fucking strong that he can. Yeah. And he can wrestle with somebody like a Chris Jericho or a Shawn Michaels as well. And it's like, who is this magical unicorn? <laughs> he He's a magical unicorn from, well, from North Dakota, but basically from Minneapolis. He did his, uh, he was a champion there at, at University of Minnesota. And I lived in Minneapolis for four years. And so I used to go to this pub called the Big Ten. And they had him, uh, it was like a full-size poster of him wearing his University of Minnesota wrestling garb. And he's a big dude. <laughs> he's huge. He is fucking huge. He looks like a special effect. I mean, we've said this about Arnold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there's that point where somebody is just like, how is this person real? Um, and Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle, again, is one of those people that... He kind of reminds me of the abominable uh, snowman. Yes. Brock does. Because he's just—he's uh, a shaved gorilla. Yeah, and then when 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 you when you when they there's a part where Kurt Angle is choking him out, and his face is getting redder and redder, and then he's just got this white eyebrow. Yes, <laughs> he, and does. he just looks like a monster. He does. He looks like a beast. You uh, said he he he's like a gorilla. There's a line that Taz has that I, I don't think the they, vanilla gorilla. The vanilla gorilla. Vanilla gorilla. Yes. I don't remember that, <laughs> and I don't think it stuck. No, but it should have. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. Yeah, these guys, this is a great match. It is. This is a really great match because this is it's... the other thing I really remember from from the event being there live. Oh god. This Vince and the Jericho match were like the three and Limp Bizkit, I guess. These are I mean there's a lot of these there's a lot of great chain wrestling it starts out with. There's reversals, there's a shit ton of fucking suplexes. Yeah. Um there's feats of strength, there's people coming off the top rope, there's I mean, this is a great – honestly, if I was going to have one thing from this pay-per-view to show to a non-fan, it would be this match. Mm-hmm. Really? Hmm. Yes. Um, there's some great stuff. I mean, Jericho versus Michaels is really yeah. close. But I'd say this one takes it because of the mix of styles, but also the visual of Brock Lesnar. And the fact that he could be so big and so fast, but also agile. Because again, you're so used to seeing ham hocks bump into each other. To see a guy like this who can fucking move, a guy who can throw Mark Henry if he needs to. Yeah, I don't think I would show this to a non-fan because there's enough mat wrestling that I think somebody that isn't into wrestling would get a little bored mm-hmm. in the in the middle uh, of it. I was a little bored, yeah. actually. Yeah, yeah. But-, but like the last 10 minutes or whatever, last, you know, see, the the beginning and the end and take out a little bit of the middle. Mm-hmm. So just from a 10,000-foot perspective, because sure. I don't understand it, do they normally, because as what you're talking about is 
they get exhausted. And mm-hmm. so sometimes it's basically they're just sort of flopping around or lying totally still on the mat, both of them at the same time. Uh, I'm guessing part of that is to build up the anticipation for them to come back and finish it. But isn't it at a certain point, it's actually like pr- the wrestlers probably need to rest a yes. little bit because they've been exerting themselves insanely for like five, six or seven minutes at yeah. once in one fell swoop. And so they probably are like, okay, I'm going to take 25 seconds to take breaths here. Yeah, And you also need, because yeah. the, the biggest stuff is going to be at the end. Yeah. yeah. And you have to be able to have the strength to do that. And these are two collegiate wrestlers that were tops you know like kurt angle has a a a gold medal with a broken freaking neck and 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 in in you know greco-roman wrestling and and the same with uh brock lesnar is so you get that like again if you're if you're really into like mma and grappling and stuff like that this is your match yeah and the, the stuff that i my personal taste in wrestling is that yeah i like a lot of grappling i like quick reversals i like throws and suplexes um too much brawling tends to get boring to me pretty fast mm-hmm. because it doesn't feel like there's any way you can build that up past a certain point. It feels like, I mean, there's a scale of how intense wrestling is. Like, okay, we're still doing quick throws. We're doing arm drags and things like that. And you move your way up to like an overhead belly to back suplex or something. Where yeah. You toss a dude. Um, there's an escalation there. But when this is the kind of thing with like the Austin and rock match where it's just mostly brawling is it feels like it's hard to sell how big certain things are when so much of it feels kind of the same um brawling tends to get kind of old to me unless you spice it up with some grappling but that's just my general sort of attitude brawling, just like kicking and punching you mean just kicking and yeah, punching yeah. smacking chopping um you need to you need to mix things up a little bit and remember that you know, the second fucking W of the company is. I've, <laughs> exactly. I've come a long way. I, I do like more matches with grappling now, but I like almost like the New Japan style where it's quick, yeah. you know? And this match, you know, while I still really enjoyed it, it it just lagged in parts. So I guess that's the question for you, Casey, because you're coming into wrestling. Have you watched a lot of professional wrestling before watching this WrestleMania? No. Okay, no. so matches usually aren't this long. They're no. this long at pay-per-views. Um, are the matches too long in something? This like one this? was too long for me. Uh, and it might have just been because I sort of tried to basically marathon the last couple hours of this. Um, <laughs> it to, took me three to, days to watch to it. try to finish it. Yeah, I had to come back. It, it would be a di- I, I I always had to put myself in the perspective of well, what if I was watching this on pay per view in two thousand three? I feel like you'd be in a room with a bunch of your friends. And you would all be wrestling fans, and you would be talking about it as it's happening, and that would remove some of the monotony of it, where you'd be shit-talking and talking about it. And so just sort of totally. being by yourself in your room for a little bit, I was like, I was like, hmm, is this just padding time? You know, that sort of thing. I will say that I had the same the same perspective, which is just like, these dudes are just two, two fucking enormous beasts of, of guys. And it's pretty, and it's pretty incredible. Um, I, I've, I don't know. I mean, I, maybe the, maybe the point of them is that, um, the, the anticipation that comes, I felt like the anticipation that comes when you, uh, when they actually get to the finale, um, is enhanced if by the fact that it's just like, oh my god, are they going to be able to pull themselves up off the off the mat? But it can drag a little bit. Yeah. So I guess to to kind of wrap this up before we get to the big question, what is the best match? What is the high point? What is the you know what is the best part of this pay per view? Limp Biscuit. 
Oh, oh my god. Oh my god. Uh, get out. <laughs> um, uh, I'm, a, I'm a crack. I'm a crack addict, man. I, I don't know. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, um, the best part of this, oh man, I don't even know. It, it, this pay-per-view, like I said, it took me three days to watch. And at the time, I was, I, I, I probably should have said this at the beginning, but at the time, I, so I was a huge wrestling fan. I, I started watching it in 87. I was seven years old. So that gives you, you can figure out my age. But um, I was a big fan from like 87 to like the early 2000s. And then I went off to college, you know, had Dayton and stuff like that and just kind of lost interest and then when I was in my dorm I only was in a dorm for a semester a bunch of guys were watching wrestling and like you said Casey it it was fun to watch with a bunch of guys and and you could kind of tune in tune out and so like you know if if a match was running long you'd just be eating pizza and and like making fun of it or something like that and and so it, it, I was getting back into wrestling at this point. And so I went with my girlfriend and we, you know, we had floor seats at, at Safeco and it, it was fun. It was a lot of fun to go. But looking back, um, it, I don't remember much from, from actually being there, yeah. you know, and, and watching it, rewatching it, you know, it, it's really weird because I think my, my taste then versus my taste now are definitely different in wrestling. I was all about that McMahon match when I was younger. I thought that was like the McMahon Hogan thing was so much fun because it was just crazy, you know, and, and like all the blood and stuff like that. You know, I really, really dug it looking back now that I, I also really appreciated the, the Jericho match. And I think that's the one I really take away as like kind of my favorite match of the whole thing was Jericho and HBK. Uh, it it kind of has everything. It's got some flippy do's. It's got kicks. It's got, um, good technical wrestling, you know, it, that's what I thought was the best. Um, I, it was, it's hard not to be won over with how infectious the rocks win is. Yeah. Cause it seems mm-hmm. really, it seems well, even just n- knowing it on peripherally, it's there. The, the signs and the fans are certainly <laughs> my favorite. Uh, uh, yeah, obviously mow your back was one of mine. W- one sign that just said poon. Yeah, <laughs> which I thought was pretty good. And uh, then, and it's then, the yachts. And then uh, lots of people suck. Yeah. I don't know if that has any any relation to anything. I did see... It works because it's true. Right. I, I did see... Uh, this had to have been a comment also of the time that someone had a sign that said, cheese-eaten surrender monkeys, yes. which I think was some anti-French sentiment from the time that we were oh. renaming French fries to freedom fries yes. and what have you. So there's a, that was all sort of entertaining to me, and the people who had you know first, second, third row seats when they saw the camera was on them would just stand up and wave and then sit down. Super and annoying. Like how, like <laughs> how many times of the in that five hours that they were sitting there did they do that? Like thirty times. Yeah. Did yeah. you just get bored of it at a certain and point? It, in and time? it's funny because the delay in the stadium versus what you're actually seeing. So every time it'd cut back to that that straight shot, you know, the hard camera shot. And you just see the the signs go up, and then they cut away to some mad action, and they cut back, and then the signs go back up. <laughs> I like the guy that had the sign that said two. Two. So every yes. time they be because <laughs> definitely two. the refs two. got to got to two a lot. Yeah, there the some... wrestlers are always surprised. They're always like two. No. Yeah, I do kind of like when a wrestler tries to argue with the ref. <laughs> no, that wasn't it's two. Like, come on, come on, like that. <laughs> when, whenever the, my last thing that I'll say that I wrote down is um, um, pro wrestling. In retrospect, pro wrestling to me is like Walmart brand caviar. It's something that's made for everyone, but it's not made for everyone. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There were a couple more signs. I, I, I like the signs that 
stated the obvious. Like, there's signs that nobody put a lot of thought into it. Like, one that says, it's time to play the game, which is what is in Triple H's music. The but, game. Yeah. but it's just like, why make a sign that says that? It's not clever. <laughs> there's one that said, Raw is Jericho. You're not at Raw, and that's just something that he'd been saying for, like, three years already. So, like... What was the point in that? I saw one for tpww.net, which is a wrestling website that I still go to that is still up, <laughs> which blows me away that it exists. The other things I really liked, just because, again, I have watched this pay-per-view a few times. So what do I see looking around Safeco Field? Ads for UPN 11, which doesn't exist anymore. The Best Damn Sports Show on Fox Sportsnet, that doesn't exist anymore. Uh, Tesoro Gasoline, which does exist, but not in prominence like it did before. AT&T Wireless, which disappeared and came back. Um, <laughs> so, and then my my ultimate favorite thing of the whole thing is I see the banners of the Seattle Mariners hanging from, from there. You got your ALCS 95, 00, and 01. You got your uh, AL West 95, AL West 97, and your AL West 2001 with 116 wins. And here we are, 16 years later. And the same four banners are just hanging in this park. Stasis. We're in yes. stasis here. So well, there was only one part. I didn't even know about the thing where they would retroactively blur out old logos. Yeah. But I saw only one, I recognized only one person who held up a sign that they had digitally blurred out afterwards. Oh, so really? And I wondered, I was either wondering if it was a, like, just inappropriate, like someone had a dick or something, or if it was a, now, if it was a WWF logo that someone had br- held up on a sign, and it, it was totally been. blurred out, it was just a second, and then it was gone. Yeah, some signs were just fucking weird. I remember yeah. watching a pay-per-view, I don't even know when it was, but somebody just had a sign held up that said, Chuck's ass stinks. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember Jerry Lawler just going, who's Chuck? <laughs> yeah, there, um... The there was a, a lot of America signs pro America. Yeah, stuff. yeah. That, that was really interesting because again, like I, I just didn't put two and two together. So I was like, "What the hell? What's the context of this?" You know. And then it's, I looked it up. It's and I was a like, rock. Oh, shit. Yeah, we were we were at our ugliest and dumbest, and we were ready to listen to some limp biscuit. Yeah. Oh, there was a line. <laughs> Uh, that was it with Taker. Uh, oh, Taker, God, he the would... dead man dedicating this match to his nephew fighting in Iraq. And then I thought, how can he lose? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, and, and, and I should have mentioned this earlier. You know, I'm sitting there watching this, and I was like, I don't remember who wins this. Does Taker win? You know, of and course then, he does. And then I see a guy with a sign that says Taker 11 and 0, and I was like, Oh yeah, he has an unbeated streak to like 23 and 0 until Brock Lesnar beats it, or 25 yeah. and 0, or whatever it was. It was crazy. So I guess that gets us to our very last question: Is WrestleMania 19 worth your time? I would, I, if there was, they edited it down to a 30 minute version. Yes. Uh, the full three hour, 45 minute stretch was really hard. It was very hard to take. Uh, there were some genuinely entertaining things from being on the outside of it for sure. Um, but I'll take the abridged version, please. I'm kind of in the same place. Me too. Yeah. 100%. I think an hour, uh, 30 is too short. I think an hour, hour and 30 i think maybe be enough i mean two hours tops to get in matches shorten some things cut out limp biscuit yes cut out the cat fights oh (sighs) god please (laughs) please i i have to tell you that there is nothing like the fear of thinking somebody might walk in on you watching the miller cat fight girl segment (laughs) because you're just like there's no answer to that all i can say is i'm just a bad person I'm an awful person, and I deserve all of the hate I mean, you throw in my direction. What are you watching? 
Why why are these girls fighting on a couch in a stadium? I think I would just or on, lie. A, on a bed in, in a stadium. I would lie and just say it's porn. That's less embarrassing. You say no, this is a Serta commercial. Is what this <laughs> yeah. is sleep number. I would. I guess I could say yes with extreme qualifiers. If you're from Seattle, if you're from Seattle, but I think part of it is or you just, went to it. <laughs> again, this is an edited down version, like Casey said. I think this is something. Watch individual matches. Mm-hmm. Uh, watch the Jericho uh, HBK match. Watch um, probably. Yeah, I'd, give, I'd give Austin versus Rock a watch. I'd give uh, the opener with Rey Mysterio and Matt Hardy a watch. I'd give the main event a watch. I'd I'd have a recap, maybe like a four minute recap of the. Vince Hulk Hogan match. Yeah, nobody needs to watch a full like twenty minutes no, of that. That but that match really should have been less than it five minutes. It is kind of a fun watch. Yeah. I really think that again, this is the downside of Vince's ego is he shouldn't have, have written himself to be the physical equal of Hulk Hogan. The that other, should have been him being thrown around for five minutes and then ended the way it ends. Well, what was also really funny is how jacked Vince was yeah. and and Hulk Hogan for that matter. And the whole storyline is based on Hulk Hogan's steroid trial, or yeah. Vince McMahon's steroid trial, where Hulk Hogan testified against him. By the way, Vince was guilty. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, and then you see these guys, not, what, 20 years in the making, they kept saying, and <laughs> Vince McMahon is so huge. Yeah, he's still super jacked. He's and you're more like, jacked than Brock is in this. Yeah, it's just the human growth hormone right yeah. there. Yeah. So, oh. He's too old to keep that, keep that mass on just by normal means. But yeah, I just say, if, if I was from the. From the perspective of to show wrestling to a non-fan, this is not the show I would show them. No. I would probably show them something that was much more wrestling heavy, would have much better... New Japan Pro Wrestling. New Japan Pro Wrestling, <laughs> a lot of that stuff. I think also with a more modern eye that doesn't have the Miller Catfight Girls, that doesn't have the worst parts of Jerry Lawler. That I'd doesn't... probably show them WrestleMania 18. That would be better. Is that the Toronto one? Which that's the one that has Hulk Hogan X7. versus The Rock in yeah, the main X7. event. I'd show oh. them that. I wouldn't show them. I think eighteen might be in Houston, which I think was a bad. I show. think WrestleMania thirty might be really fun to yeah. watch because I think the the storyline with uh, Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson, yeah. is compelling enough. The idea of a little guy overcoming the odds and it has a real feel good ending. I, the spectacle of WrestleMania has grown immensely too. I mean, this is, I'd say, starting probably with that. Skydome show is which I think was X seven. That's kind of when I feel like WrestleMania started to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Where they, you know, it's like Comic Con, where it just yeah. gets to, big to the point that it almost becomes too much. Yeah. and you're like, okay, we have to scale this back. Mm-hmm. Not every match has to go for twenty minutes. No. Not a, it's like, but if I you mean, look, the first WrestleMania is a lot of the smaller down card matches were like three minutes long. This pay per view is three hours and forty eight minutes, I think, or th- whatever, and it's now allotted about five hours. Wow. Oh God. And that's a lot to watch. And it's become kind of an all-star show. I mean, they bring back usually like one or two old superstars. They had Goldberg a couple of years ago. Triple H always wrestles. Um, you know, and so they have like the old time Undertaker still wrestles. It's awful. But like, <laughs> it's really bad. But like it, you know, it's become kind of like an old timers game mixed in with like the actual event. And that's why it's five hours. And so I don't even think I would recommend one of the newer ones. But I think, like you said, the one with, with Daniel Bryanson, uh, or Daniel Bryanson, <laughs> Brian Danielson, <laughs> Daniel Bryan, <laughs> I think the one with him in the Superdome would have been, is something to show someone. That one is a lot of fun. Yeah. Again, it's a highlight game. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily think anyone needs to watch four hours of wrestling all in no. one go. Skip the first hour on a lot of these. 
So, uh, feels like we've been going for about three hours and 42 minutes. Um, I'm tapped out. <laughs> I give up. <laughs> um, Morgan Lambert from uh, Radio Tacoma, thank you for joining us again. Yeah. And if folks want to find out the stuff that you're working on or about the radio station, where do they go? Uh, you can check out Radio Tacoma at Radio Tacoma on Twitter, at Radio Tacoma 101.9 on Instagram and Facebook. If you live in the Tacoma area, we are always looking for new shows, new people to come out and check us out. We... We have a pretty open schedule right now, so if you want to get on the air and do a radio show, you're more than welcome to. Whoa. Yes. That's quite the invitation. It is. Um, we don't have the freedoms of podcasts, so you probably can't drop an F-bomb here or you there. Know, I, can't, I can't do uh, my, my all Lenny Bruce show, uh, my, recreate Lenny Bruce's best <laughs> no, act. Probably, your... probably not. Oh, okay. I think, so, we use that, I think we use that no in training. No fights. No, no. God damn it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no cat fights. Um, <laughs> audibly, it'd be pretty bad too. Yeah, you know, it was bad visually. We also don't play any Limp Biscuit, so oh, that's yeah. you're doing the Lord's work. Right? Yeah, um, I'm on Twitter at, at Morgan Lambert. Um, there's nothing going on there except usually me getting angry at politics and and retweeting cool wrestling stuff. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again, Morgan. Yeah, thank you for having me. And a special thanks to our episode sponsors. We now have six of them. Oh, nice. We got a best special thank you out to Larry Brunswick, Margaret King, Tim Batson, Zuri Russell, Sterling Taylor, and Tom the Belgian, who's joining those, nice. those hallowed ranks. If you want to become an episode sponsor, please check us out on patreon.com slash radio versus the Martians, or of course on radio versus the Martians.com. We'll catch you guys all next month. See you then. Bye bye. Radio versus the Martians is hosted by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. This podcast is recorded in beautiful Val Verde in Seattle, Washington. Our chief engineer is Casey Dorn, and our editor is Mike Gillis. Our original theme music is written and performed by James Wetzel. Special thanks to Sam Mulvey, Rob Kelly, James Wetzel, Paul Rue, Tobias Panshin, Scott Kramer, Kyle Hepworth, and Todd Maxfield Matsumoto. Please take the time to rate and review our show on iTunes and Stitcher, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please consider becoming one of our Patreon subscribers. Even just a dollar a month gives you access to exclusive episodes. And you can always find us online at RadioVersusTheMartians.com.